Hey up everyone, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers, Elite Big War Games podcast and episode 7 and uh, very shortly we'll be going to our interview uh, with today's guest Nick Skinner uh, from Two Fat Lardies, uh, somebody who will need no introduction at all. Um, just before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping as normal, not too much today um, as the interview's uh, longer than normal so uh, I want to try and keep it around two hours tops um just so uh, you know um the uh, episode last episode six with uh, fraser from von ketteringham uh, has just overtaken the most number of uh, downloads in the first week uh, um, overtaking mark freeth's episode so well done to vk and uh, well done to vk particularly uh, fraser because uh, we talked at the end of that episode if you listened uh, about figures that I would like to paint that I didn't have already uh, and uh, I woke up the following morning it's as if, it's as if Fraser had hypnotised me uh, because I woke up the following morning and bought the figures that I was talking about so I am now the proud owner of a 36 figure 28mm battalion uh, St. Patrick's Battalion from the Italian Wars of Independence and um, it's already sparked off I've converted some ACEW uh, Zouaves I've had lying around for a long time with some uh, metal heads from Steve Barber models so I've got some papal Zouaves now and I've just ordered some Garibaldi troops so uh, uh, Fraser I, th- I think you uh, you owe uh, Gringo 40 some money mate because uh, <laughs> they're getting some uh, getting some orders going their way which is great uh, and thanks very much for, for that question uh, Fraser it was, it was a brilliant one uh, a really good one uh, so uh, just to announce we've uh, before we start we've got a major sponsorship deal now um, with an international airline um, Yorkshire Airlines I'm very proud to say will be sponsoring uh, this podcast uh, from from now on and um, they've they've done a, an advert and that advert will feature in between part ones and part two of today's show so if you need to go a up and away and you fancy flying from Leeds to Doncaster or maybe to Hull then uh, Yorkshire Airlines is the airline for you. But more of that later. Let's get on with our interview. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast and episode seven. And today's guest, we enter the world the world of war games glitterati for the very first time. I've pulled the red carpet from the bottom of my ferret's cage, I've given it a shake, and I've rolled it out for this lad. An award-winning member of what many people say is the best-looking trio since Banana Rama. He is no doubt proudly support, uh, sporting his recent Caesars winner's medal of the oddcast. He is many things to many people. He is John Lennon to Rich Clark's Paul McCartney. He is a slayer of black puddings. He is an advocate of the avocado. He is a connoisseur of the cooking lager. He is a judger of breakfasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Nick Skinner. Hey up, Ken. Where hast thou been since I saw thee? Oh, hey. We'll be singing along to the theme tune in a minute. Do you know what? I've been walking around my house for the last few weeks whistling that 
Have you? Ilky Morbartet. It's a great tune, isn't it? It is brilliant. Absolutely. There was there was very few tunes that I could have picked for a theme tune. Um, and I'd already used the last of the summer wine for YouTube. So I thought, let's have a go at that. Let's have a go at that. <laughs> so it, it's it's worked then, has it? Yeah, it has. Well, it's a, it's almost like a national anthem, isn't it? In fact, I'm sure when Yorkshire gets its independence, that will be the national anthem of Yorkshire. It, it will be. And as I, I think I said in the last or oh, couple of podcasts ago, when we voted for Brexit, we actually thought we were leaving England. We were quite right. surprised that it was something to do with somewhere called Europe, which is <laughs> south of Sheffield, I think. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere south of Sheffield. Somewhere you, south. You just can't, you stay out there. We'll look after the rest of it. You stay out there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll manage. We'll manage. <laughs> so, um, we had a little chat before we started, Nick, and um, I think it's well known you've done quite a few podcasts in the past, and uh, most of them give you a little bit of an introduction, um, but a little bit different on Yorkshire Gamer, and, and you are aware of this, that we're, we're just going to do four minutes. You've got four minutes of an introduction, uh, and after about three and a half minutes, you'll hear the countdown music, and if you just rattle on for too long then D.I. Regan from the Sweeney will tell you to shut it. So uh, are, you, uh, are you happy with the rules for that, mate? I'm happy with the rules. I've written a list and, we're, oh. and we can play a bit of war game. We can play a bit of war game as bingo on the way. Oh, fantastic. You can tick them off as we go. All the things that apply to, to you, you can tick <laughs> off. Oh, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. So um, I'll just say... Three, two, one, go. And uh, I've got my little timer here. And uh, we're ready. So three, two, one, off you go, Nick Skinner. Right, OK, so I'm going to start in the 1970s. That's the first one you can tick off. I'm going to start with war films on TV every weekend and every holiday. Um, we've got we've got Warlord comic, Victor comic, Battle Action comic, uh, but not 2000 AD. I wasn't into 2000 no. AD whatsoever. Um, which I think says something about about me, and I've got a real history bent in my wargaming. Um, Commando comics, oh, yes. one thirty second scale airfix soldiers, uh, matchbox and airfix kits. You know oh. when you're big enough to get some pocket money. Yeah, I remember painting some some one thirty second scale airfix toy soldiers that my big brother had. Japanese they were, nice. painted them in bright green. Yeah, bright green enamels, and like you know, two days later, there's no paint left on them. You know how it goes, it just flakes off. Um, 172nd scale, HO00, whatever that, whatever HO00 was, I still don't know what HO00 no, is. No. I've really never understood scales. Um, let me see, Action Man, Action Man storybooks. I'm going to ring a bell. Ooh, so that's something that's about stories. One. Yeah, something about stories there, which is key for me in wargaming. Hmm. Um, so we've got all the airfix stuff, coastal defense set, you know, gun emplacement, pontoon bridge, military modeling. Airfix Napoleonics, so which is the first time that you can get to do big battles on your mate's floor. We're yep. playing big, big games with Airfix Plastic Napoleonics. Um, and games for over two to three days, you know, with, oh. with loads of plastic. Oh, now we're talking. We used to go to local Woolworths and buy them all. So then a couple of things, I guess, from that. A few dings coming along now, big things in the term <laughs> of dings. Um, so first of all, finding a book in the school library called The War Game. Right, key moment in my wargaming history. Um, book put together, I think it was edited by, was it Charles Grant? I've got it here, yeah. actually, because I always, always have it on a podcast. That's about <laughs> wargaming. Um, that was really essential for me, really exciting. Donald Featherstone, Bruce Quarry, 
okay all these kind of dings that, that everybody will recognize then i went to st alban's war games club which absolutely was a you know if this was big ben it would be ding 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 like nobody's business <laughs> yeah. coincided with the release of miniature war games as a magazine yep um there was a guy at st alban's called bill mcnally who was another thing yeah. he was the guy who first let us know that it was okay to write your own rules and, and St Albans was a real hotbed in that though in those days for that yeah. kind of thing um so where I met Richard he's not going to get a ding on the bell um and then we were buying sort of I don't know metal figures loads of periods war game ballistic we were in the 1990s um read a book called the sharp end of war by John Ellis Mm. okay which is about psychology of warfare which gets me into the kind of angle on the, on the history that i like to take um then we've got i guess richard and i went into two fat lardies i guess you're going to want to talk about that at some point and a bit of family history which ties into if yeah. the lord spares us rules yeah. and the rules that came out from that um and doing some battlefield walking big games with paddy griffiths Krieg Spiel. Uh, and of course, IBSM, Bag the Hun, Kiss Me Hardy, Sharp Practice, Chain of Command, the odd cast, and generally drinking beer all over the world is what we're trying to do. I think have a pint a pint with war gamers wherever they are and build a great community where people can have fun and enjoy themselves. How's that? That, that is absolutely fantastic. And you are bang on 30 seconds away from it starting. Oh, there it goes well, now. Okay. Well, Okay, well, I'll, I'll talk about Sid for a few seconds, if you like, because um, Sid would like to be spoken about, I'm sure. Yeah. So just on the end there, because he likes to have top billing. We've got, of course, a great friendship with our friend Sidney Roundwood. Yep. Hello, Sid, if you're listening. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, that was a, a superb response to the four minute challenge, I have to say. Uh, thank you very much for that. You, I think um, you've the way you've done that is really good because that that kind of brings out the similarity that a lot of us have um i'm in my mid 50s i was a, a kid in the 70s and early 80s um and that's exactly what i did and i think it's exactly what a lot of people did on on podcasts as well when when you listen into them the club that you went to where you met rich is that is, is that the club that you still yeah. go to now so we still go it still meets in the same place that it met 35 years ago whatever it was and some of the guys are still there who were there then yeah. um yeah so it was a, the st albans club um yeah. i don't know if you remember but when miniature war games first came out there was a series of articles in there by a guy whose first name escapes me but his second name was gosling yeah uh, and i know that because he was he was uh i think the son of one of my teachers at school Mm. Um, and he lived in St Albans and he used to write about the St Albans War Game Club and uh, that's how I became aware of it ah. but it turns out that that St Albans War Game Club was not the one that I ended up going to I ended up <laughs> I went to one that I think was advertised in the back of one of the magazines mm. uh, and so I turned up there with my mates um, and walked into the door and you know a, a, another piece of shared history I suspect mm. you walk in the door you open in, into a room where they've got a big table set out with a fantastic game mm. and it, i think it was actually one that richard was running but it was a like a medieval um commando raid so oh, there right. were you know 28 millimeter essex miniatures yeah 28 millimeter ships that i think richard had built or somebody mm. had built and it just looked tremendous and for i think i was 16 when i walked in the door mm. and i just thought wow you know this yeah. was a real penny dropping jaw dropping moments <laughs> uh, and and it's shaped me ever since and you know we used to every week it used to meet and it absolutely fired me into action 
my wargaming after I went to St Albans just went absolutely ballistic. And is it still? Is it, is it? Do you get new members coming in every now and again, or are you are you olden and graying? Yeah, it's um, it's quite odd, really, because these days it's really just our playtesting club. So mm. if you go to that group, if you turn up at that club, then all you'll get to do is play the same game with us mm. week after week after week yeah. uh, while we play test something. And that's that's got an appeal to some people, but mm. not to everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we've got a group of regulars that that turn up and, and mm. help us chew over some ideas. And it may be that we only play a game for an hour and then we'll spend the rest of the evening talking about well, what differences we need to make and what worked and what didn't work, etc. Mm. So in terms of pure war game, if you want to turn up and have a pure game from start to finish and have yeah. a different one every week, it's mm. not the place to go. But if you want to join in some you know, creative thinking, um, yeah. then, then I guess that's the place to be. And is, is it is it a room that you hire out somewhere or is it your own premises? Or It's a room in a local community club. Yeah. So yeah. I can't, I've got no idea how big the room is. But if you used all the tables in there, and it used to be something that we did frequently in the old days, mm. was have you know the, as many tables as we can for the mm. biggest table setup we could find. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to run big Vietnam, uh, big, big Vietnam search and destroy games. And we'd have... Uh, you know, something like a 30 foot table i remember the tables were two and a half foot by six foot yeah so we used to get as many of those as we could including nicking them from all the other rooms yeah. and just having i remember trying to work out i remember sketching out on square paper you know how big could we possibly make this table <laughs> um, and yet still allow people to reach the center of it yeah or did we have to take the center table out and have you know, sixty-year-old blokes crawling around on their hands and knees under the table because <laughs> because when you're when you're twenty years old, you think that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think width of table is definitely connected to age of average age of players. <laughs> uh, when we when we did Jutland, we we had an eight foot wide table, and luckily for all of us, the main fleets are quite separated during the battle, so you only have yeah. to reach in three or four feet. But if if there was a big destroyer action in the middle, you had to get the the tall lanky kids to move the move the ships in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, think, I think that's where Richard came in handy because, of course, he's six foot four, yeah. whatever he is. You know, he's got a longer reach than most people. He's a big lad, isn't he? Well, one of the things that you did that came out in your um, four minutes, um, and uh, I think it's a big thing for many, many war gamers, but probably we don't really talk about that much, is friendship. Um, you, How long ago was it when you bumped into those guys at, St Albans and, and you're still friends with them today. Uh, well I, th I think I was 16 which must make it 36 years ago okay so that's a long time isn't it that's yeah that's, and you, that's you, a long time to know anybody yeah you don't quite realize how much of your life you share with your war games friends um especially if you're lucky enough to be within a group um and it normally is you'll you'll separate into groups of five or six or seven that all have a similar sense of humour, all have a similar type of game that they want to play. Uh, and, and your friendship builds from there. Um, and yeah, of course... We went through the stage of, of... Sorry, we went through the stage, stage of, as most clubs do, you know, people will rotate, put on different games. We used scenario-driven games most of the time, which meant that one person would design the scenario, design the table, bring, yeah. bring their armies along. Mm -hmm. And there were sort of three or four of us, I guess, at St Albans that would do that on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and, and they're the guys that generally are still involved now. Hmm. 
So is your is your war gaming driven by the rules that Lardies are producing at that time, or do you have your own favourite periods? Um, nowadays, it's totally driven by what we're working on, and we mm. will tend to play to death whatever it is yeah. we're working on. Um, so, you know, as you imagine, we've had uh, quite a quite a number of rule sets come out in the last 10 years or so so we will play them we will play them to death and then when they're published funnily enough we tend to play them least because we we get them to the point when they're published and then mm. when they're published we're moving on to the next thing yeah. so exactly at the point when people are playing the games that are published we've started mm. to go on to the next thing it doesn't always work like that yeah which is why it's really nice when we go to the shows etc and we take the game and we play it because it gives us a chance to mm. to go back and connect to it and we get lots of stick uh, let's be honest about it. We get lots of stick for not knowing our own rules, and and the reason and the reason I say that is that the reason that I always say uh, about that is that that's because we spend so long playing so many different versions of them. Yeah. But the one that's the one finally gets out there is the one that we probably play the least. Yeah. So that's that's my excuse on that. Nothing to do with too much alcohol or anything like that. No, no, because that never blurs the lines, does it? <laughs> no, never. So what what would what's your what's your favourite? If you didn't have to develop a rule set, um, what would you pick as your favourite periods? Um, so this is interesting because I've tried to consolidate my own figure collection over the years because mm. I'm growing, I'm running out of storage space. Mm. So I'm consolidating into World War Two uh, and um, Napoleonics. And then after that, I'm into aerial gaming and naval gaming. So Napoleonic naval um, and World War Two mm. aerial dogfighting principally. The great thing about that is these days, if you're using, you know, one six hundred tends to be the scale of choice for yeah. that. Takes up no room whatsoever. I've still got lots of big armies for I ain't been shot mum 15 mm. millimeter World War Two. So World War Two for me is 20, 28 mil mm. and 15 mil. And Napoleonics is principally 28 mil. In fact, it's only 28 mil. Mm. Um, and uh, what else have I got? Lots of World War One, 15 millimeter for yeah. if the Lord spares us. An army that was built up at the time when there were no World War One, or very few World War One, uh, 15 mm. mil Middle East figures. Uh, and that takes up probably four or five trays in my Bisley cabinets, I think. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess that those are my main ones that I would go to. Mm. And do you have a gaming space at home, or is everything done away from home? No, uh, we do everything away from home. I don't have any any space really. I have the I have the garage where all my stuff, or try, or I try to get all my stuff in there. Yeah. Um, the biggest part of my collection really is books. Actually, I've got more books than anything else. Yeah. And if you looked at if you looked at me from the outside and said, "What does this guy collect?" <laughs> say he collects history books because the house is just stuffed full of them and i i, I can never resist one i'm always I'm always wanting to know that i've got access to that little bit of extra information yeah. you know uh, and that, that's a, that's a good thing for a rule writer i would suggest um well i think it's i think it's pretty poor if somebody comes up to you and points something out and you say you know what i've never read that i wasn't aware of it yeah because if i if somebody is preparing a set of rules i'd expect them to have done the research mm. Oh so yeah, yeah, yeah def definitely. Um, one of the things that I, I speak to in this with people about in this part of the of the of the podcast is is the Venn diagram of wargaming. Um, do you remember the old Venn diagrams right. from school? Um, I do. And um, each wargamer 
Uh, I've tried to break it down into four sections and each of them will overlap in different ways. And that defines our wargaming personality, if you like. Um, and I've, those areas are wargamer, painter, collector and historian. And um, as I always tell my guests, my I'm more painter, collector, historian is where I fit. And the game inside of it, although I enjoy it, if I took it away, I would still paint and collect. So I, I'm always interested in how people sort of see themselves in that setup. Um, it's a really good question. And so I would say, what were they? Painter? Painter, uh, Painter, war collector, historian. Wargamer. Yeah. So, okay. So probably in terms of time spent, painting, researcher, collector, wargamer, and I'd throw rule writer in there somewhere because I don't know where it fits yeah. in those. But you've got to do all you've got to do all four of those to do a bit of that. Yeah, well, that's, in, so that's, yeah, probably, in, that's interesting. That's yeah, you've, you've surprised me with that. We're putting painter first. Um, it, I'm slow. <laughs> is that is that your excuse? Are you sticking with that one? Yeah, I'm, I'm slow. I'm slow. I've got lot, I've got lots of stuff. I've got lots of collections. I've got you know, I've got. God knows how many tanks I've got, and uh, they a lot of them spend a lot of time in my own collection. Yeah, um, and you know, only half of them. I've done a lot of stuff in lockdown that hasn't been anywhere. Yeah, you know, like most of us have. Yeah, well, that's that's that's, that's interesting. I, I I didn't expect that. You've you've surprised me, there, Nick. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's that's a good thing then. No, it's it's brilliant. I I, I like it because it, it, I think it defines very much. Um, where we where we sit in our gaming experience and what we're looking for from a game and my draw me being drawn to the big bigger game is is down to that collecting and painting so i've got these massive massive collections of figures what am i going to do with them and sometimes it's yeah, just yeah. it's just lying them out on the table and going i've done all right there lad that's not bad at all that. Yeah, I think there's something quite therapeutic about painting, which I there find, is. you know, really relaxing. Yeah, um, I'd love to find more game, more time to play actual games. Yeah, uh, and we, I guess we go through phases of that. You know, that's mm. the thing. We sometimes, sometimes game a lot, and sometimes we have long periods without being able to get together. So COVID has been difficult, obviously, but we've been doing online games. Although I've not been able to run any from here, yeah. uh, I've been involved in playing. No, that's worked well for people. And I know from a number of people I've spoken to, um, the painting side of it, and especially for me, I've got quite a, a difficult job um, and it just lets me zone out, zone out. I come home and I can paint. And it's like having, it's like having a, it's not a free therapist, is it? Because you, you're paying for all those figures. <laughs> but it's, it's a discount, a discount therapist uh, is probably the best way. Um, so just while we're talking uh, during the introduction, um, I'd like to just speak to you about publishing rules and, um, and ju just uh, chat about your how it happened for you because i think many people listening um will have knocked up a, a set of rules on the back of a beer mat at some stage during the life and it's a huge jump from that let's do minus one if they're behind a bush um to <laughs> here's a set of rules so how how did you go from that interest in rule writing to actually getting something published yeah. Um, so, as I said, at St Albans, we had a real culture of the do your own thing, uh, which was led by a guy called Bill McNally, who's um, 
who's I think based up now in, in Cheshire, but he was very, very instrumental in the St. Albans club. Mm. He used his own rules for most of the games that we played, had very big arm, very big armies of plastic Napoleonics and well, plastic everything Bill had. Yeah. Um extensive collection, very inspiring man. Um and uh I guess he made it clear that we could do our own thing. So we used to buy rules and play rules, but we'd always adapt them. Mm. Um and then I think uh I don't know when it would have been in the late 1990s, probably um, we went back to playing some Vietnam rules that we used to play a lot of mm. and we hadn't played for a while. And we went back to them. I guess when we played them again, we just suddenly felt, you know what, these are not giving us the game that we want. Mm. They're not giving us the feel that we want. And they're not giving us the, the command decisions that we want. And I think the reason for that was that we'd invested much more in the history and mm. in the, uh, you know, in the kind of uh, the experience of the, I was in more into the psychology of the warfare at that time, you know, yeah. how, are, how are commanders making their decisions and, and what's influencing them. Mm. And I wasn't getting that feeling during those games. So we just sat there after one game at Richard and I, and we knocked up some ideas, wrote them down in the same way as many, many thousands of people have done, I suspect, mm. uh, you know, and create our own set of rules really. Um, and then I can't remember now how we got to send them out. I think, word must have spread in some way that we'd written these set of rules um and so richard started sending them out and you know then people started saying well you know can i buy some off you kind of thing yeah and this, you know, i can't i can't truly remember the detail of it because it's so long ago uh but then we kind of realized well actually we could sell some of these and people are interested in selling them so okay well let's sell some and we sell mm. we sold them richard used to um, print them off and bind them with a spiral bar you know ooh, spiral binding ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and send them out initially, you know, more for playtesting than anything else. But then, yeah, people started buying them. Um, people said, you know what, you should sell you should sell these properly. They're really good. Mm. Um, and people said, what else have you got? You know, have you got anything else? We said, well, we've got, mm. you know, some ideas about this and that. So before you know it, you're starting to put together a little portfolio of things. Mm. Um, and we were just lucky. I think we hit a nerve. We 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 I like to think the rules were different. I think they took mm. a different approach to many of the many of the rules that were around at that time. Um, for instance, I ain't been shot, Mum. You know, when you were when you were shooting at your enemy, uh, you had to make an adjudication whether it was a good shot, a poor shot, or mm. a or an okay shot. And that's the kind of trust based decision that that most war games didn't use at that time. Mm. Uh, and we introduced, of course, um, we didn't introduce it, but we incorporated friction. Yeah. into those rules which which meant that people either loved them or hate them they're a bit of marmite some people <laughs> thought it took away their decisions and some people thought it actually gave them the right kind of decision and we started to get really good feedback from people who knew what they were talking about and mm. that made us feel really good i guess mm. so that that kind of fueled us to do more and and ever has been that way i think so r roughly roughly when were those first set sent out do you think so next year we are two fat lardies is 20 next year Ooh. so it must be in 2002 that we did that are, i think that's you... right if it's not then that's that's our official birthday anyway <laughs> and what what was the sort of level of production on those very first ones that went out uh, you've well, talked think, about I, the I spiral binding. yeah well we were um <laughs> let's not talk about typos or anything like that they they were home they were home produced yeah um but actually in the day of course they were black and white everything was black and white in those days i think we mm. had a color we had a color photo of a 
of a crocodile, um, a Churchill crocodile tank on the front, I think, mm. as I remember from one of the first versions. Uh, so production quality was low, but it was a cottage yeah. industry in those days. Yeah. And I think um, there's a big change there from how you've started off. And it's probably similar to how bands would have started in those days. They would play the pubs and clubs and build up an audience and and, and eventually get to selling out Wembley Stadium. Whereas today, they just grab Dave and Sonia from down the working men's club, bang a backing track on, do a bit of auto-tune. And so long as they look the business, they, they sell millions. Um, because they, there's lots of there's lots of stuff that comes out rule-wise today. Um, and I'm not going to name names because I'm just going to get myself into trouble again. Um, but um, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of style. There's a lot of 200 pages, glossy colour, and then you get into the rules, and it you, you're kind of disappointed with with what's there, what the content is. Um, it, it, do you find that yourself? With do you buy other sets of rules, or do you just ignore everyone? I don't, I don't know. If, I don't have the time to be honest. I mean, yeah. I've, I've seen many. Uh, do I buy some? Do you know, what? I probably don't buy that many. I don't buy yeah. many sets of rules at all. Um, I've, what I do is I look around board games for inspiration. Yeah, uh, I play games with other people. I like to play other games where we can. Although generally people, you know, want to play. You know, if, if they'll come along and show us how to play, you know, one of your games. So I don't get to play other games that often, but I like to. I think that I don't know. I think I think that. Some gamers that they like to collect rules. You know, some people yeah. buy every set of rules without stimulates their thinking. They like to compare information, whatever floats their boat, really. Mm. Um, and I guess the production standards on the rules have gone through the roof now. And people like their rules to be glossy. Yeah. You know, look at. I mean, this was so. If the Lord spares us, I've got a copy of this here. Of, this was one of our earlier sets. In fact, this this was so. This says two thousand and five, but even by two thousand and five, we'd gone to we were at black and white content, staple bound. Um, oh no, it's got color content. It's got a ooh, couple of bits ooh. of color in there, um, you know, and it's uh, kind of survived okay, glossy cover. Mm. Um, you know, these days, I guess we've moved on some to some degree from that. But you know, it's it's uh, the commercial aspects of rules are tricky. You know, so you will buy one set of rules, mm. and you know, for for I don't know, twenty quid, whatever it is, yeah, and then you'll go and spend four hundred quid on figures. So you know, it's the uh, the rules are still the kind of poor side of the hobby in that regard i don't think yeah. anybody's ever going to retire as a millionaire from writing <laughs> rules no no very true very true indeed um and i think um the, the when you started to write rules i think there's 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 a lot of encouragement or ability to free freestyle if you like whereas maybe today people coming from games workshop into historical tend to be very restricted because when you go into games workshop if you say well what about if we had a card activated system you're going to get chucked out of the shop aren't you so <laughs> did you did you feel at the time that it was it was a creative experience a creative environment that you were in it's quite it's quite a weird feeling when you when you create something and, and then put it out there into the into the real world mm. because um people will come back and tell you that you, you've got something wrong well okay that's fit there yeah. maybe i have got something wrong I don't claim to be you know, the expert on everything. Um, and then people will, would, would often say to us, I think they used to think that our rules were quite chatty in their style yeah. and, you know, and, and weren't suitable for competition gaming because there was too much ambiguity. 
Yeah. And I'd say, well, hooray for that. I don't, I don't want it any other way. And, yeah. and you know, people, people come to us for a rule with a, with a rule query. Um, and they would say, I've got a local workaround, which is to do this. And we'd say, yeah, okay, fine. Mm. You know, you, you do what you want with it. They're your yeah. rules to play the game that you want to. And if it works for you to tweak this or tweak that, or that, that, that's absolutely fine by us. Mm. We, we're, you know, we're really happy to, to take the idea and for you to use it as a toolbox for you yeah. to get the game that you want out of it. And we've kept that. We've kept that all the way through. Um, I think now, though, we are smarter as rule writers. Yeah. I mean, Richard in particular has, uh, has focused, you know, 100% of his career on this. Uh, and, you know, the, the production now and, and the content that we have now and the, and the thoroughness of what's there um, is much different to what it was 20 years ago, but you'd expect that, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that yeah, it's, um, but yeah, people play them in different ways. And I just like to hear people have fun about them, really. Mm. You know, it's like when you with the little Sue, I love reading that. I love seeing that. And mm. I, I'll bet you now you don't play them as they're written. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I've imagined that you've them as well. So that's fine. Yeah. Don't have a problem with that. No, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, so um, just before we move on then to uh, the second section, um, what's your current project in Wargaming? I've noticed some uh, Mexicans popping up on Twitter. Uh, is that, yeah. uh, what, what's that for? It's... Um, it's because I've been doing so much World War II in the last few years that yeah. I wanted something a bit different, but I wanted something that I could do that was felt manageable and was a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, there was an article that Colin Murray wrote, Scottish guy Colin Murray, hello yeah. Colin, in the in Lard magazine. Um, you know, we do an annual magazine, comes mm. out uh, near Christmas time. Um, and he wrote an article in there on the filibusters. So in America, you know, going south and yeah. south of the Rio Grande and causing some trouble. <laughs> and it just stimulated me into thinking about the Alamo. I've always been a huge John Wayne fan. Love mm. the film, the Alamo. A lot of my historical interests are, uh, are sort yeah. of Hollywood centered initially. Um, and I just thought they would be fun to do. So I've got some figures from Boot Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, Boot Hill miniatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mill. They are really, really lovely sculpts. Uh, and Nick Futter, who who runs that, is a is a top class guy as well, and and they're a beautiful range. So I've only got I don't know. I mean, have I got enough for a sharp practice, which is yeah. about fifty aside? Yeah. Um, and I haven't done an action with them yet because I've only painted the Mexicans. I haven't painted. I haven't started on the Texians yet. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I've got some downstairs that are in work in progress, shall we say? Oh, excellent. That's, that's my well current. Answered. That's my current project. Brilliant. Um, and um, I did write something down that I forgot to ask you before we move on. Um, and that was um, when you brought those first sets of rules out, um, and we'll talk later on about how different Lardy sets of rules are to normal sets of rules. Did, was it quite a, an avalanche of criticism to start with? Did you get a lot of, what the bloody hell's this, lad? Yeah, we did. We got quite a lot of that, especially around the tea break card that was in I yeah. mean Shop Mum. So it's card driven. And when the tea break card comes out, that's it. You reshuffle the pack and off you go again. Yeah. And of course, lots of people got very upset that they had units that potentially didn't get to move in that turn. Um, uh, and so we had lots of uh, pushback about that. Now, interestingly enough, 20 years on, I think that kind of friction of movement is is pretty much established. People mm. don't necessarily expect to do an I go, you go kind of activity. Mm. Um, but at the time that we got lots of pushback about that, it was interesting. And we, we did have um, also some real evangelists, some people who picked it up and sort of said, you know, behold, 
the new, you know, this is the greatest. <laughs> and some, some real evangelists ran with it really, really strongly yeah. and gathered some energy around it as well. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, that's, um, and I guess that's how communities grow, isn't it? From these people that, that say, look at this, I've got this, I love, really love it. Let's yeah. play it together. And what do you think? And then they go and buy it and it kind of goes on from there, which is really how I guess we've grown. So we, we did get some pushback. We got pushback about the friction idea. We got pushback about the chatty style, mm. um, you know, and that we were okay with all of that because we said, mm. look, we're just doing this for a, we're just doing this for a laugh. If you don't want it, you don't have to buy it, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, and and th- I think that's been our attitude all the way through. Really, we've been enjoying ourselves, and we've had a real, we have had a fantastic laugh. I mean, I'm, we've we've been to places and done things that we wouldn't have otherwise done as war gamers and we've had a jolly good giggle doing it and the whole thing has been yeah super that's that's the best way to game anyway shape or form <laughs> the laughs that we have here are with friends and at shows it's what it's all about it is definitely what it's all about and and over time then as have people got used to what to expect from a set of lardy's rules and and there's less of that pushback to because friction is now in most games, there'll be some method of, um, you know, if it's not card activation, it'll be dice activation or dice roll for initiative and people will move in initiative order. Um, it seems to have become the norm, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's important to say that I don't think we invented any of these things, mm. but we embrace them and use them. And I think you do see them more often now, yeah, So, uh, which, which is great to see. Um, so yeah so remind me again what was the question there was i was just talking <laughs> yeah it was i was um, i was kind of saying has that has that um reaction to the friction in your rules dissipated over time are people right more um, oh that's right you're asking yeah sorry i've, I've only had i've only had I've, literally honestly folks i've only had an inch of beer um <laughs> tr- truly um yeah so i think there appears to be a lardy style now. People say this. People say these rules are very much in the lardy style. Yeah. So you know, and they've they've created that definition for themselves. I'm not quite sure that we set out to define a lardy style as such. Yeah. Um, but I'm great that we. I'm great that people tell us we've got one. Um, you know. So it's. Um, and I guess that is around the. Um, we 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 like things to be unpredictable, not random, uh, but unpredictable. Uh, you know. So we don't like sort of standard six inch moves. Um, we don't like it when we have a set I go, you go. We don't like things that where we can look at the game and predict exactly where it will be in three turns time. Yeah. Um, so if that's a lardy thing, then um, that's great because I think all, all games that are it. too predictable are not such fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Nick. That's a um, great introduction there. And we'll just take a short break uh, for a message from our advertisers. And uh, then we'll be back for chat on big games in a second. On your holes? Don't know who to fly with? <laughs> then why don't you go A up and away with Yorkshire Airlines? Our Air Dorises will always give you the warmest of welcomes. Wipe my bloody feet! Our flight crew are the very best. This is Captain Boycott speaking. During the flight, we'll be flying at whatever height I like for as long as I bloody like, because I'm captain, right? And your safety is our concern. 
right, you lot. Shut, Shut up, belt up, and if you can't see the bloody exits, you must be bloody blind. Yorkshire Airlines, departing Leeds International Airstrip, touching down 20 minutes later at Leeds International Airstrip, because if it's outside Yorkshire, it's not worth bloody visiting. Um, I hope you enjoyed that new advert from Yorkshire Airlines. Um, there'll be plenty more Yorkshire-related adverts uh, coming up during the course of this series. Um, and the second part of the show, for the regular listeners, they will know we have a chat about big games. And, and some of you will be thinking, oh, Nick Skinner, he does them them big skirmish games for two fat lardies. What, what, what's he going to tell us about big games? And I think that could, this is an interesting part. This is why we get people on the show to talk about different things. So, um, what does a big game mean to you, Nick? What's you, what do you think of a big game? Well, I guess a big game for me, um, if somebody asks me about a game and I explain to them what they're doing and they say, oh, that's a big game, mm. then that is a good enough definition. So yep. uh, for me, that could, be, that could be a game in terms of, it could be size of table. They could mm. walk in the door and say, whoa, look at that. Or it could be the number of players that you've got engaged at any one time. Mm. Or it could be that you've got a series of games that, that tie together into a campaign sequence, which is yeah. a big game from start to finish. Yeah. So um, I'm going I'm to jump under whatever definition of big <laughs> that most suits me whenever I need to jump under it. Does that make sense? That makes sense because 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 trying to define it gets you into trouble. I found. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yep. Um, and there's certainly no intention. There's certainly no intention for that. Um, and and um, I found it interesting during these chats to talk about big games with people because everyone's had a bit of a different definition. Um, so, have you? Did you ever go to the War Games Holiday Centre? Was that something you ever did? No, I never went there. I, I know guys who did. And it's interesting, isn't it, that I was listening to your podcast about the impact that had on people. Without doubt, those big games, you know, when Peter Gilder was running it, those games looked stunning. And mm. I can imagine that if I'd walked in there, yeah, um, I would have had exactly that same response because they're sensational looking games. The tables look fantastic. Yeah. They must have been great things to be involved with. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they were. That, uh I've said it many times that first experience I used to do a bit of painting for them and my first experience walking in there with my um four battalions of French infantry 36 figures a piece me thinking my god I've done loads and you get there and um it was Jerry Elliott at the time who was running it and he took them give me a check and then put them onto this shelf and they just disappeared and it's like that uh, just amazing, absolutely amazing, and I'm sure that's had a well, it has had a massive effect quite clearly. Um, so, um, have you have you taken part in big games, and have you done big weekend games? Done, yeah, we've we've done we've done um, plenty of those. Where can I start? I think the one my favourite one that we did because it meant more to me at the time. We we refought Trafalgar, which is a pretty big game, mm. so the largest. Yeah. You know, one of the, the largest naval action of its time, mm. um, sort of 60 ships, Langton models. We did it at the, um, we did it over two tables. So it was so big, we couldn't get yeah. it on one table. What we decided was we do the northern half of the action. So you've got Nelson's column, yeah. in, the, in the truest sense of the word, Nelson's attacking yeah. line of ships, uh, pushing into the front part of mm. the French fleet. We yeah. had that on one table. Yeah. And then the other table, we had Collingwood's southern column mm. pushing in 
um, and crossing there. And we refought Trafalgar. We did it in 2005 to mark the anniversary of Trafalgar yeah. as well. We we had guys coming up, and I think we had actually that weekend we had we had a big games weekend. Hmm. We had Trafalgar being played in one room with using Kiss Me Hardy yeah. on the Poland and Naval rules, and in the other in the other room we had uh, Austerlitz being played with Le Feu Sacré, which is a uh, also a sort of core mm. level divisional war game that um, uh, Darren Green wrote for us. Uh, mm. uh, uh, one of our very very early sets um so we had we had i think we we had a big group of guys come up from all over the country quite early in the days of lard in those days yeah. and we had uh, am i allowed to say every word ken or is that going yeah, to be yeah no there? crack on crack on so we had we had a twat in the hat contest uh, <laughs> which was which was we encouraged people to make the most ridiculous napoleonic french hat or french hat that they could mm. or any any napoleonic hat and the great thing was that we had i think uh, i think of the guys who came you know, more than half of them took part in this and they'd made these ludicrous hats, you know, absolutely ridiculous hats. Um, such a giggle. I've still got the photos, actually. I'm, I must share them to embarrass them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and we had that. It was just a really good fun day. We had, uh, I don't know how many guys there were, 20, 20, 20 odd, something like that, which yeah. was, you know, which were big for us at, at that time. Um, and we, we refought in the Trafalgar. Uh, and we refought it at pretty much one to one time. So, you know, in the real battle took about five hours and, and our game took about the same length of time with a pretty similar outcome. It has to be said. Yeah. Uh, and that was really, really good. One of the biggest games we, we've done in terms of, I guess, that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, weren't thousands and thousands of figures on the table, mm. but it was a big game. And we've done many other um, large days which were on that same vein. So we did Stalingrad, for instance. Mm. Uh, we refought Stalingrad using a uh, using a big E-shaped table. Yeah. So we had, if you imagine imagine laying a le- the letter E on its back, so you've got the flat bits, and then you've yeah. got three arms coming out. And we had the uh, the Germans were advancing up each arm. So we basically mm. had three three separate actions being mm. fought as they moved their way up the arm. And the Russians were controlling the long part of the E. So the Russians were able to marshal some of their troops, you know, and get mm. them to the table that they needed them. So there's yeah. a real resource management part of the game as well. Um, that was, I think, I think that was the second year we had a big games day mm. at, at Lard Island. And then the third year we did Crete. So we refought actions. Now this time we did a big game, mm. but we did it over eight tables. Yeah. Uh, eight tables, something like that. So we had, we took historical scenarios from all around the invasion of Crete and we played out all of them in the one go and then said, well, what happened there? What happened there? What happened there? And kind of declare an overall outcome from that. Mm. So these were games played using I Ain't Been Shot Mum, which is a company level rule yeah. set at that time. Um, in terms of massive games of sort of big Napoleonics or whatever, mm. we did a Waterloo refight last mm. year uh, for. It was actually last year, a couple of years ago, my 50th birthday. Somehow I've managed to get to 50. Well, well, <laughs> well full stop. Somehow well I've managed to get to 50. And and somehow I'd managed to get to 50 and never actually played a Waterloo, never no. refought Waterloo. Oh, yeah. So I said to the guys, we've got to rectify this. We need to do a we need to do a refight at Waterloo. So we did one using Le Fossac. Uh, we did it, sorry, we did it using um General Darme. We did it using General Darme with Dave Brown. Yeah. Dave Brown came and we and we, uh, and we played that. And that was sensational. Really, really good. But, you know, it, was, it was a big table, but actually not that big. Mm. I think it was probably eight foot by six foot. Um, and we used 15 mil. 
Mm. Uh, and it was really fun to do that. With Again, I think we had, I don't know, 12 or so guys play the game, go out and have a few beers and a curry afterwards, which is very much our model. It's very much our <laughs> modus operandi. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, think, I think they count as big. And then you've got on the other side of things, uh, the lard days, which are big collections of many games. Mm. So they, they are big by by definition. Somebody would walk in and say, wow, you know, that's for yeah. me, that fits under one of my definitions of big. Mm. And then um, I guess you go to the other end of the scale and you look at some of the Kriegspiel games that we've done. Mm. So we're, I was very lucky to do some Kriegspiel games with uh, the late and very great Paddy Griffith. Mm. Um and Paddy ran through the Imperial War Museum at Duxford, mm. some big Kriegspiel games, including Operation Sea Lion, mm. the invasion of Norway, the, the uh, invasion of Crete. And these were done as big exercises with, you know, 50 players mm. and a team of umpires of about 20 umpires, you know, so yeah. 70 people working together to create a mega Kriegspiel. Mm. Um, and, and people would say, oh, yeah, that's big. But there wasn't a single figure involved in that. No, no yeah. toy soldiers at all. Um, but a fascinating insight into uh, what could have happened or what might have happened, you know, in those historical scenarios. And Paddy was an expert at, at that friction, mm. you know, that, that yeah. um, thing not quite going to plan or not quite working out the way you wanted it. So mm. I, I think, do they count as big? You tell me. You're the you're the adjudicator. Am I the kids. adjudicator? <laughs> well, no. I'm I'm happy for people to have different styles of big games. And if we go back to the Venn diagram of wargaming that I spoke about in the first section, then the way my mind works and the way that first experience of the massive games at the War Games Holiday Centres, a big game. If somebody says big game to me, I think huge table, thousands and thousands of figures. Um, and to be honest, I could just sit there like a fish tank. I, I, I could just sit there yeah. and just look. Um, but then there are other people who have that, the gaming aspect. And I think that's very much with the Kriegspiel, the, the, the mental challenge of, of moving those tiny blocks of wood round. Um, and, and, and my brain just goes, they're not painted, can I? Or they might be painted with like a little, they'll have like the cavalry symbol or whatever. Um, yeah, so yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with lots of definitions for big games because um, I, I just want people to enjoy what they're doing at the end of the day. Um, and then the people who listen to this will probably be the 20 foot table, 3,000, 28 mil figure, types like me yeah, and that's yeah. great that's great but then other people that's great and i think well i was, I was going to say that they're great what, what really impresses me about games if they're if they're big and engaging yes so if so if, if, if engagement for you means you're happy to just watch and just absorb with your eyes yeah. this fantastic spectacle yeah. before you then that's great yeah. um for me a game's also got to engage in terms of of, of getting an outcome or what, telling the story of that yeah. battle so if you're able to do that as well in a big game then absolutely brilliant. I and, mean, you know, look at um, some of the things that, um, again, different scale, we go right down to two mil. Mm. You you should get Mark Backhouse on on, mm. on on here, Ken. I don't know if he's on, I don't know if he's on your list, but I do know he's cheap. Um, so, <laughs> That's what I like to and, hear. And, it, and, and, he, and he will talk to you about, um, you know, his two mil gaming that he's doing. Yeah, um, him and Sydney his, are having um, a crack at it, aren't they? Yeah, they are absolutely, and they're really interesting and fascinating. And they're quite obviously, you can command a big game on a on your coffee table from that perspective. Mm. So for me, it's got to be engaging. And if big games, I've I've had experience of big games that are not engaging. 
I've yes. had experience of big games where I've been the commander on the left flank and the attacker's gone in on the right flank and I'm sitting there scratching my backside. And it's great to watch that, but you kind of think, oh, I'd like to have had more to do there. Mm. Uh, and I don't mind doing that occasionally, mm. uh, but I don't want to be the guy who gets stuck with that every week. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I, and I, and I think, yeah. I think um, a lot of big games is about how they run. Um, and a lot of people's negative experience with big games are with badly run big games. Um, and if if, if you come here to Yorkshire Gamer, you're not going to leave that, that door until you've wet yourself a couple of times with laughing because that's the way that we like to, to game here. Uh, we've all got our little incontinence pads for when we when somebody cracks a joke or whatever. And, and everyone is involved, even if we're playing a card activated system which can be a little bit slow for a big game we're still laughing and joking and, and Ian one of our mates will talk about the railways for five minutes and we'll throw stuff at him to shut him up there'll be trees thrown across the table at him just to shut him up um, and I think I think it's the enjoyment and I think if you've had a bad experience with a big game I mean you'll have seen those games at shows where everyone's had the back to their audience and nobody's yeah. talking to the crowd well, well, you know, that's um, that's something we are really passionate about. We're really passionate about engaging. Well, whenever we go to show, I like to think that we engage as many people as we can. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've been to our tables at the, you know, we go mm. around the show, we go around the show circuit and um, we like to make our games as engaging as possible. We like people to come, have some fun, enjoy the game. Yes, we hope they look good, but actually we don't spend, you know, we don't blow a massive budget on terrain. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the one time we did blow all of Sydney's creative talents on the, on the, on the terrain game is is uh, is one of the games that famously never 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 won an award. We don't measure our games on their success of winning mm. awards, but the irony is that the one year that we took a game to crisis in in Antwerp uh, with Sydney's professional, fantastically built terrain was the one year we came back without any silverware, which was so funny. Um, and the next year, and the next year we we did a we did a like I think it was a, a winter war game with a white bed sheet, you know, and, yeah. and completely embarrassed by having a really engaging game just just with a bed sheet. Um which is nice work if you can get it. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I think it's got to be engaging, hasn't it? Whatever yeah. size it is. Yeah. And it's, you've got to have people involved. You've got to have, it helps to have big personalities as well, like Rich, doesn't it? Who drive yeah, it on people. Um, and if you, if you do get people, I've spoke to people who've, who are not negative about a big game, but I've kind of said, Ooh, I don't like it. Um, and, I, and when I've delved down into it, they've been that guy at the end of the table waiting yeah. two hours to move the two ammunition trucks that they've been allowed to, to have. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind doing that. You know, I used to I used to play, believe it or not, I used to play a lot of cricket in my youth. Mm. And, you know, it's nothing worse than playing a cricket match and sort of standing at standing at fine leg all afternoon and then being put into bat at number 10. You yes. Know? And you just think, actually, yeah. I'm not sure I want to bother doing this next week. Yeah. Um, I, so well, it's going yeah. to be yeah. I'm, I'm a retired wicketkeeper, so I had something to do <laughs> all the time. You, well, you, that explains why you've got plenty. That explains why there's plenty of jabber going on. Ken, oh God, yeah. If there's any ever in a man that's, that's full of jabber, it's always the wicketkeeper. That's true. We, we we had a. I used to play with a guy who he went to unbelievably bowl for Yorkshire, uh, sorry for Lancashire, um, and he was the fastest bowler I have ever come across in my entire life. And we used to play on this pitch in the middle of nowhere that was built on a slag heap. 
So the bounce was A, unpredictable, and B, it just went forever. And I remember standing on the boundary rope and still hardly being able to stop the ball. And that's my <laughs> dear remember. This ball is coming through me. It's got to be, you have to be high 80s, early 90s. He really, really did fly at it uh, and just stood at the back desperately, like more and more in the gloves going in and socks and everything, yeah. just trying to protect my hands. So great to hear us. I know that feeling, and I know, I know I know the pod's not about not about cricket, but I've got a similar story. I used to open the batting, yeah. and we went on tour to Norfolk, yeah. and uh, we played against Fakenham in Norfolk, yeah. and we'd all been out very late the night before. We were all very very hungover, and I went out. We lost the toss, <laughs> and we had to bat. <laughs> oh I no! Out, I, the, I, I went out and opened the batting, and the guy with the opening bowler was the Norfolk opening bowler. Yeah, and he came in. He bowled his first ball. Um, he bowled a bouncer, but I was completely oblivious to that. And I just played forward, forward, you know, I couldn't yeah. see the ball. I just played forward. Like that. Yeah. And I could, I could literally sort of hear the ball as it zinged oh. off my ear, my ear hole. Um, and those were the days when I was younger and, and could, could, well, actually got a 50 that day as well on the back. Oh, of that. nice. Did, did that way, did that first ball wake you up then? Yeah, I think it must've done. It certainly, um, <laughs> new trousers, please. <laughs> Well, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big Cricket Podcast, everyone. <laughs> we, Jeffrey? Jeffrey, good old Jeffrey. I've uh, I've played Jeffrey Boycott Bingo many times in uh, pub gardens, listening to uh, Radio Four. Uh, very, very funny man. Um, so, um, if there was if there was advice that you would give to a new gamer who may be scared of a big game, um, what would it be? Um, well, if you're scared of a big game, uh, either find out some people that are going to introduce you nicely into a big game and get mm. into the right group of people to do that, or start with a small game and make it bigger. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you'll find your own definition of what big looks like. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think clubs, I think clubs are fewer and I'm not quite sure what the, what the club scene is looking like, to be fair. I'm not sure how easy it is to go and find a, find a club. Yeah. But I think, you know, what do, what do people want when they come into the hobby? Most of them are coming in from fairly small. This is, this is my opinion. Yeah. Might not yeah. be fact. A lot of people are coming in from, from, um, Warhammer or whatever they're playing, the, uh, games workshop. And they're coming in at that kind of 50 figures aside kind of level, some of them. Yeah. Um, so when they see something that's like that, in historicals mm. it's quite appealing um but also i guess some of them are megalomaniacs and have got big armies i think it's the fear of building a big army isn't it yeah i think people these days want everything really quickly yeah um, and building a big army as you know takes a long time yeah i was i was listening to um something with Stephen fry on yesterday um completely unrelated to wargame but he was talking about um something they're now calling deferred pleasure um and yeah, how yeah. The modern, um, the modern generation, and, and I'm, again, it's generalising, but in psychological terms, um, how people want immediate pleasure rather than working and working and working for a pleasure that will come sometime in the future. And I think that may be a little bit to do with people being a little bit scared of bigger armies. Yeah, it's an investment, isn't it? You know, you have to, you realise you have to start small. You paint one figure and you think, 
Christ, I've got 3,000 more to do. I mean, I would, you know, I've my Mexicans, I've said to myself, I'm not going to get thousands of Mexicans. I'm only going to get, you know, this small body. Yeah. But I know full well that in the fullness of time, I'll add to that and I'll get some more figures here and there. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you look in the cupboard and you've got, you have got a very large collection. Yeah. And I, and I think I can, I can, um, own up to the general public and say I'm absolutely crap at Skernum Schwar gaming. That's my problem because <laughs> I'll, my uh, our World War Two uh, early war desert stuff. Yeah, we're we'll, we'll gonna we'll get a box of the Perry's plastics and we'll each get a tank and we'll have a nice little game. Uh, and then, like two years later, 60, 70 tanks, um, three, four hundred figures. And it's it just blows out. So that's my excuse. I'm just not very good at skirmish gaming. I think that's well. I, I like to buy. I like to buy units. So yeah. for tanks, for instance, I won't buy one tank. I'll yeah. buy well. There's there's four in a troop, so yeah. I'll buy four. So my so for instance, recce. You know, I've, I've got an entire recce squadron um, yeah. for uh, for late World War Two. Hmm. Um, now I know that if I'm playing chain of command, I'm probably only ever going to put one or two of those vehicles hmm. on that table. But I like the idea of this is the collector part in me. Yeah. I like the idea of being able to lay out those vehicles and say, look, there's a reconnaissance, you know, there's a reconnaissance mm. squadron from 1944. You know, yeah. you've got the mix of vehicles in that. I just like having that feeling. And I, and I kind of hope that, so one day we get them on the table. So every now and then we do do big, there, there yeah. is a variant of chain of command called big chain of command. Oh, so you can, you know, you can, <laughs> you can play multiple. Yeah. It's like a, you know, you just, you just multiply it up. Um, and and it works really well. And every now and then we do a big game. So there's a chance to field those bigger units hmm. in that. And of course, if you go down a scale now, if you, well, you don't have to go down a scale, but if you, so for instance, O Group, I don't know if you know of O Group, yes, which yeah. is a yeah. neural step from Dave Brown that, that's just hmm. come out through, uh, through, well, not Two Fat Lardies as such, but Rise of Its Press, which is hmm. our sort of sister um, yeah. publishing house, which is, you know, uh, other people writing Rise of Its Press. So we've got Dave Brown's O Group in there. Uh, and that's uh, battalion size. So battalion size is a pretty big World War II game yeah. where you do get to field squadrons and things like that. Mm. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that chat on big games, Nick. It's always good to get a different um, perspective on it. And as I said earlier on, lots of people have talked about the social aspect and the friendship aspect and the, the, the group experience. And um, it, to me, it's all about having a laugh with your mates. Um, so that's brilliant. Well, thank if, you very listen, much. Listen, if, if you're not... If you're not having a laugh, you're not doing it right. No, uh, there's some very serious people out there, though, isn't there? <laughs> very serious. <laughs> well, um, this is going to be interesting next, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to go for the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. And um, Have you got any links to Yorkshire at all, Nick? Other than I maybe... have. My brother. My brother is a Yorkshireman. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in a second. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. And the usual disclaimer at the start is that it, there's no right or wrong. And um, agreeing with me is not necessarily a good thing. So a big score could be negative, if you like. And uh, the, highest score, the highest score ever is 90%. And that was from one of my gaming mates. And he dropped points because he supports Leeds United. Or... You could say that um, Chris Breeze, in my first ever episode, who got 60%, is in the lead because he's less Yorkshire gamer. 
So, Nick, are you ready? <laughs> well, in that case, I can't fail to win. <laughs> so, 20 quick fire questions. There will either be yes or no or one or the other. Um, explanations uh, will be given if required. Um, so, we'll, we'll get going. And uh, the first question is go big or go home? Go big. Go big. Contrast paints, are they great or are they a gimmick? I think they are a great gimmick. Ooh, half a point. Um, <laughs> half a point for being a smart ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is only one right answer to the next question. Um, paintbrushes, Windsor and Newton or Yorkshire made pro art? I'm going to go Windsor and Newton and, and you know, add my apologies. Oh, can't believe it. Can't believe it. Um, 96 <laughs> figures. Are you? Uh, is that an army or a pipe block? Oh, that's a really hard one for me. <laughs> Oh, nice. yeah. I'm going to say it's an army. Oh, first one to say I'm, that. I'm, I'm, Controversial. Yeah, I bet. Yep. Um, six by four. Is that a big game or a small game? I'd say it's what most people expect to game on. I think you can have a big game on it. Ooh, ooh. It's a big game. Back to less, back to less controversial now. Um, have I got any points yet? Uh, you're on one and a half. You're doing really well. Uh, okay, uh, that's good. Uh, Points-based army or historical order of battle? Historical order of battle every single time. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Now, I have my money on you getting this. I'm not saying right, but right. Um, not wrong. But, but you've let me down a couple of days ago with this. Um, wet, oh, no. pa wet palette or old bit of MDF to mix your paints? Well, uh, if you'd asked me last week, I would have said old bit of MDF. This week, I'm on the wet palette. Next week... I could be back on the NDF. Okay, I'm, I've taken a wet palette. Sydney has been, as you know, Sydney has always gone on about his wet palette. His wet palette, this yeah. wet palette, that. Um, so in a, in a, I don't know, in a moment of madness, I bought one yeah. from a, from a well-known brand, uh, and I tried it last week. I'm still using it at the moment. At the moment, and it's okay. It's okay. Oh, okay, okay. Let's um, see. Let's see where I am in a month. How's the um, how's the crest growing? Is it is it? <laughs> yeah, oh, you never never convinced well, yeah, me. A bit like that. Um, a bit like that. When you're undercoating figures, are you a black undercoat or a white undercoat? Um, I'll go brown. So I'll probably go black more than white. So brown, black, if that's the choice. Yeah, brown. Uh, um, Halfords break. Halfords oh. do a camouflage paint. Yes, they are wonderful. Where Wargaming would be without Halfords, I've got no idea. Oh, absolutely. I, I need to get some... Every time I go there, there's a big queue of Wargamers. <laughs> I, I must have I must have used oh, industrial scale amount of their primer over the year. It's just years. It's, it's just madness. <laughs> um, so um, another one where there's only one answer: um, uh, Yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee. I'm going to get a point here, Yorkshire tea, Yay! tea every time. And I get really, really disappointed when I go to hotels in the morning yeah. and I order a cup of tea and they look at me like I'm mad because everybody else sitting there has their nice, you know, their nice cup of coffee or their yeah. skinny latte or whatever it is. And I'd say, no, I'd like a pot of tea, please. Well, if, if we go anywhere posh, Mrs. Riley will ask for a skinny latte and I just walk away from her. I just leave her on a table on her own <laughs> and I have a, I have a cup, of, cup of tea somewhere. Uh, so, uh, uh, number 10, um, war game units. Do you like them, the figures tightly packed or socially distanced? Tightly packed for me. 
good. Yeah, I like the I like the feel. I like the feeling of of uh, force. Yeah. Um, interesting on your answer for this one. Do you like a two-hour club game or a monster weekend game? I like a monster weekend game. You know, I'd I'd love to have more. I'd love to have more monster weekend games. I can have both. The last one will give you a point, and you need them. <laughs> I'll take anything. I'll take anything. Now, um, we are um, just entering the Nick Skinner special question. Um, and this is this is dedicated to you, young sir. Um, avocado, is it just posh, mushy peas? Well, it, it might taste like that. But I'm convinced it's doing me the world of good. You reckon? So I'm, 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 uh, yeah, I'm in the avocado camp. Oh. That's a fact. I quite like an avocado with scrambled egg and bacon with some fresh chili is a lovely breakfast. It's out, I'm lost there. I'm lo- it, convinced. Uh, have convinced you, have you, you was have that try po- it. was that Polish you were just speaking? Uh, yeah. I, I, if you, you said know, look mushy, at me, mushy nobody, peas. nobody loves a bacon sandwich more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, round dice, spherical dice, are they allowed or banned? Do you know, I've never heard of them. Have I've you never not? heard of round dice. I've never seen round dice. And oh. to be honest, I hope I never do because they sound ridiculous. Yes, yeah, somebody brought them here. Um, and I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. They rolled three or four of them and like two of them shot across the table. One of them knocked some pipe blocks, uh, pikes off a pipe block and the other one rolled off the end of the table. And of course, any dice off the table don't count. So yeah. it was get rid of them now. Straightforward. Oh, dice off the cake, dice off the table don't count. I'll have to write that down because when Clarky, when Richard throws his dice across the room, yeah. um, you know, he has to wait to see if they come up sixes. He might go and get oh. them if they do. I'm not saying he's a cheat, but he might be. Is it right? D- dice off the cake table do not count. Simple as that. Simple rule. Courtesy of Yorkshire <laughs> Game, you can have that for now, mate. No problems at all. Uh, uh, question 14. Um, would you pay 33 pence for a communist? I've got no idea what that refers to, so it sounds like a lot of money to me. I'd say no. Good lad. Good lad. Um, interesting for a rule writer, this one. Do you like um, a good table in a set of rules, like a casualty table or a factor table? Um, I don't like tables and rules. Controversial. I'm, I'm, I'm biting my lip. I'm biting my lip there because I could go on about that because I think there's a, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. But generally, I try to avoid tables. Generally, try to avoid any kind of lookup whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, I think I think if the the, the more you look, the more you play a game, the less you need to look it up. Um, yeah, that's a fact. And, and a lot of a lot of my friends play a lot, and I mean a lot of Grand Manor, the old. Uh, Napoleonic set, yeah, yeah. and there's lots of tables in that, but they know them because they've been playing them for 30 years. They don't have to look anything up. Um, well, I've got a copy of my, my copy of If the Lord Spares Us here. I look on the back cover, and it's got look all the tables you know, the kind of play, <laughs> yeah. play sheet on the back with about 300 tables on it. So there's 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 me saying that I don't like tables, <laughs> and there's written evidence <laughs> of, of, a, of, a, of a rule set that's got more tables than. MFI. Yeah. Your, your Honour, I refer to the previous answer from this gentleman, <laughs> and I produce, if the Lord spares us. Um, so, um, 28 mil is king, yes or no? Uh, that's a really good question. I think, no, it isn't king. Uh, no, it isn't king. It's not king. Unpaint, no, unpaint, no. Unpainted miniatures, are they allowed on the table? 
not on mine. No, no. War games should be, I think, we should do our best to make them visually appealing. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I'll just stand up and show the club badge on my T-shirt before you answer this question. Um, Bradford City yeah. or Leeds United? Uh, Bradford City, because Leeds United are a bunch of fowlers. Dirty Leeds. Professional opinion. Dirty Leeds. And I think it might, and I think it might get me a point, and I'll desperate to get whatever points <laughs> I can get. I'm a, to- I'm a, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, you, you'll have played Bradford City about twice in the last hundred years, because <laughs> we're, we're always propping up the uh, bottom of the fourth division with all the other railway towns. Um, so, um, two questions to go. Um, Yorkshire or the other place over the hill? What, lanky, lanky, lanky? Um, Don't say it. Don't say yeah. it. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I would go Yorkshire. Absolutely Yorkshire. Good lad. And uh, finally, um, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil? No, they're not. No, they're not. I think there are loads of people come into the hobby through Games Workshop. So I've got well, a positive score, Ken. You have got, he's just, sir. He's, add, you, he's adding up. Uh, you, oh, I, uh, yeah, I have to do that occasionally. Uh, you wouldn't believe I had a degree in engineering, would you? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> fingers. Um, 60%, sir. 60%. So you've gone to the... Oh, that's uh, that's got to be an A grade, surely. Yeah, that's, you've gone to the top with Chris Breeze or, <laughs> or at the bottom with Chris Breeze, depending on which way you like. Whatever. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, at least it's good. I'm in good. I'm in good company. That's good. I'm happy with that. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks very much for taking part in that, Nick. It's uh, it's a bit of a joke and a bit of a laugh, and uh, I know everyone has different opinions, and uh, some came out there, and that was great. So we'll just no, there's uh, some good questions in there, Ken. It's testing, you know, it's, testing, it's, um, especially the avocado one. Yeah, well, yeah, my missus has put me on an 800 calorie a day diet, oh. and uh, one of the things I can enjoy is avocado on that, and you are allowed bacon, so it's close. Oh, that's all right. Is, is avocado one of those things where you use more calories preparing it than you do eating it, like celery? Yeah, probably. Well, actually, my experience with avocado is you buy three and you throw two of them in the bin because they go off really quickly. And the third one you might get to eat. So unit, you know, that part of the fun is actually the, 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 the lottery of whether you can actually eat it or not once you open it. Well, I have to, I have to say, I can't remember a time where we've had an avocado in the house. Uh, Mrs. Riley's farmer is a farmer's daughter, so she's not going to know what an avocado is. <laughs> but I might go and try one. I might go and try one, see what they're like, uh, and I have them with. I'm not. An, I'm, I'm. I'm not part of the avocado marketing board, but I, you know, I, I, I quite enjoy an avocado. It makes me feel healthy when I've got it. When I've got sort of bacon and eggs with a bit of avocado. On the side. Excellent. I like, I like that. A bit of sin food on the side. That's fantastic. Well, thanks for that, Nick. We'll, we'll move on to our big topic in a second. Well, that was great. Cracking uh, effort there at the, at the quiz from Nick. Thank you very much for that. Um, and um, I've got a couple of things on my list for the big topic. And the first one is a, a set of rules. And, and I'm very grateful for Nick to come in on the show because um, normally I think people will ask you to come on and plug your latest pl- product. Um, and I'm asking you to come on and talk about something that you did years ago and is probably not one of your best sellers. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. 
Until so, until now. Until now. <laughs> until now. The the hundreds. Uh, it is now hundreds. It's coming up to thousand, nearly a thousand people who listen to these. Um, will. Um, now be aware of this rule set because we're just going to talk about it. And, and it's a massive, massive favourite here at Yorkshire Gamer. And um, we game, uh, we have one game a year of it and we, we go big with it. We go absolutely massively big with it. So I've got Nick to on to tell me that we're doing it completely wrong. <laughs> but, uh, so what, the, the set of rules, Nick, is if the Lord spares us. Um, so just for the people out there who, who may not have heard of it, just tell us, um, what it is and what it covers. Yeah, the title tells you nothing about it, really, doesn't it? Which is which tells you something about the way that we wrote it. It wasn't written for a commercial uh, as a commercial product, obviously. Mm. Um, they are targeted at First World War in the Middle East. Mm. Um, so I have a, a great uncle who who served at Gallipoli. He he went ashore at, at Suvla Bay in in August uh, 1915. Uh, then got evacuated after the Gallipoli disaster back to Egypt, spent most of 1916 in Egypt, chasing um, some of the Senussi, the Senussi re mm. revolt in the um, uh, in the Western Desert there. Then in, uh, when did they start going? They started pushing towards Gaza and Palestine mm. um, and they reached Gaza in, I think, March 1917. Yeah. It was part of that column that went there. So you've got two battles of Gaza, one at the end of March, one at the beginning of uh, one in the middle of April 1917, and um, he was wounded at Second Gaza. He was in the Second, the Royal West Kent Regiment. He mm. was um, he was a um, he was a sergeant, uh, and he got shot. He got shot through the neck, and the bullet went through his neck and came out of um, of his back. And you'd think that you know, well, that would be a pretty nasty wound. Mm. But he was in Cairo for six months, and then no, six months, five months, and then sent back to the front again by the time mm. that healed. Um, so he must have been lucky. But in some ways, he was very unlucky because he got back to his unit just in time for the third Battle of Gaza, yeah. uh, which is where Allenby, who by that time had taken over um, and they'd reinforced the Imperial troops in, 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 in Palestine. He launched a big attack, uh, kind of a right hook through mm. Beersheba, yeah. which outflanked the Gaza position. And then basically that broke the Turkish line. Um, and um, unfortunately for him, he was killed on the 4th of November. Uh, and um, these rules are called If the Lord Spares Us, uh, which is a, sh a short extract from his last letter home. Uh, mm. So that's the, um, that was his, that was his, that was his um, how he ended his last letter. He said, till we meet again, if the Lord spares us. So when I worked on, on the rules, mm. um, it seemed to me that that had meaning for me to put that in there as the title. It was, um, it was, it wasn't actually the war game that got me started. It was the bit of family research that went mm. with it. I don't know if you'd remember, Ken, but I think there was a there was a real sense in the in the country as we got to the last years of the last millennium. Mm. There was a real focus on genealogy, wasn't there? People were very yeah. interested in family history, and I guess yeah. I got caught up in that. I didn't know much about Albert until yeah. then. Um, so, so I that, that research that that, that quote that then the Nick, came from him. I didn't realise that. that. Yeah, no, quote that was came, him. That was the, oh that was, right. That was his well, last letter home, um, yeah. I'll just break just break in there just because I just want to share why I got into this as well because this is exactly the a very similar story and and around that time when you were talking about genealogy and I think a lot of that was to do with an opening up of databases and an ease of, of being able to obtain information um I started to do a bit of family history 
And I've I've loved my history all my life. As you can see behind me, there's bloody thousands of books on it. And um, I started to do a bit of family history. And I thought, oh, I wonder, I'm sure some of my family must have fought in World War One. And um, I went through it and I found three or four people who'd been in World War One, and I found uh, one guy was killed on the Western Front in Passchendaele. Um, two guys came home. And another guy, um, Samuel, Samuel Riley, um, he was buried in Baghdad. And I went, what? 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 Baghdad? What are you on about? And that led me then to... Um, look into his history he'd um, he'd been in the labor corps and then because of his engineering background all my family have been engineers um he ended up in what was the start of the remi he was in a, a electrical mechanical unit and he was working he ended up in in cut um and ended up um being moved from there um to um, Baghdad and, and sadly passed away from illness in, in Baghdad and is buried and is still in Baghdad, Baghdad Southgate Cemetery, Northgate Cemetery, uh, I'm sorry. And one of my dearest, dearest dreams is to just, is to go there. And because none of the, none of my family will have been, and it's over, it's over a hundred years ago now, isn't it? It's over a hundred years ago that he, he got got buried there, and because of the troubles in 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 Iraq, it's just not possible to go, and it's a real real shame. And I hope one day, before I shuffle off the mortal coil, um, I'll be able to go. Um, and that led to my interest in this period. So sorry to bust, but but um, burst in there, Nick. But I thought it would be good to share that at the same time. So you you, you were yeah, saying no, it's good. It's it's good. Well, I mean, I just you know, just add to that. I mean, my 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 great uncle is buried in Beersheba, well, um, in the mm. cemetery in Beersheba as well. And there's, these Commonwealth War graves, of course, are all across the world, aren't they? Mm. They're not just on the Western Front. And I love I love battlefield walking, as I'm sure yeah. you do, and many others. But mm. I've, you know, I've, I have a real passion for battlefield walking and understanding the battle. And I'd love to go out there um, and see some of those. But to go to Beersheba in Gaza, you know, it's it's um, not yeah. something that I would do uh, at the moment. I think it's um, still quite so yeah, quite that, well looked after, isn't it? From the pictures I've seen, they're very well, amazingly well looked after. Despite yeah. everything that goes on around them, they are cared for, and they're immaculate. Mm. And you know, we we you get a photograph. So we you know we we uh, contact them and got a photograph of his headstone, for instance, which mm. was really meaningful. Um, but it's but I think it's in the research of him that I wanted mm. to find out more about what happened to him. Yeah. Um, and we've got uh, some photos. We know about when he was killed. And there's even a photo of his temporary grave in a little gully uh, up in the hills, in the foothills above mm. Beersheba. Um, and so I wanted to find out more about that. I researched the battalion. You know, you start with whatever histories you can get. Yeah. There weren't that many around, really, because I think mm. this was uh, pre-millennium where, I don't know, it seems there's a lot. Obviously, there's more material available now, more easily available. Mm. The growth of information on the Internet has taken off. Um, and so it was a real research piece to try and find out, you know, try and piece together what had happened to him and find out more about his story. Mm. And of course, by doing that, I read more and more about that campaign and understood more about the ex um, the, the campaigns and the expeditions that, that you know, the, the expeditionary forces went on, mm. uh, the, 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 the tactics, the, the unit compositions, all that kind of stuff. And I started to put it together as a war gamer does. I thought, well, actually, 
I want a war game this. I want to do mm. it. And I, and I don't know quite why I chose brigade level because it will sue. Um, I'll call it it will sue if the Lord spares us mm. is, was written for brigade size games. Mm. Um, so we're looking at, we look at, you know, the brigade, you have a brigade commander, you have probably four uh, battalions in the brigade and then each battalion has companies. Cause in most rule sets, we tend to operate two levels down. So the smallest mm. unit, a company well i guess if you took a base it would be a platoon but yeah um and you know you may have adapted it to fit you what you need mm. but it was understanding how that war worked and realizing that you know what this is the first world war this is mm. but this is not trenches yes there are trenches mm. if in gallipoli you know you've got trenches and you've got trench warfare mm. as you have on the western front but you've got uh out where you go in the more mobile parts of the war when you hit palestine Mm. You've got camel troops, you've got light horse, you've got the use of machine guns in big areas of open ground. Mm. You've got Turkish army, which is actually really stubborn mm. uh, on the defense and, and, and of lots of varying troop qualities. And on the, on the Imperial side, you've got Indian troops, you've got Commonwealth, mm. uh, Australians, you know, New Zealand, you've got guys from Essex and, and Yorkshire and, you know, mm. uh, the whole mix together. It's a fantastic mix as a period. And I thought, I just want to do this. Mm. Um, but there were no figures available. Well, there were very few. I think minifigs did a yeah. uh, a World War One range for the Middle East. So my figures, you know, some of the figures that are on the front of the rules here, I notice. I think some of those are Sudan range. You're kind of, you know, just slightly <laughs> yeah. tweaked um, because they're all they're close enough at that scale. And the only guys that did a really good range, I thought, were Eureka uh, mm. at that time. And so I've got lots of Eureka to go with that. And yeah, it just grew from that. Really, it's very much a product of. Um, family history and something that uh, was real fun to do um but you know commercially it's not really part of the war that people are interested in mm. uh, it was never done with any commercial drive whatsoever yeah I, I think um very much like myself it, it's it's very unknown it's like a um some of the fighting up in the um italian hills and and, and in yugoslavia yeah. around there it's i just think it's because people aren't aware of it and and um, i would like to I'm not a professional historian by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been gaming and, and reading history books for a, a very, very long time. And for me to go, I don't know anything about this, and then look at it. Um, when was this written? We did discuss this earlier on. Well, I just, yeah, it's, um, I'll just know in the front here, it says first edition published December 2005. So I'm, if, unless that's a typo, which it could be, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that that's, that must be when it came out. First edition. Is that like one of them Harry Potter ones where it'll sell for like 300 yeah. grand or whatever? Yeah, that's just... right. Well, if, 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 it, if, it, if it does, you'll be the first to, you'll be the first to um, get 10%. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, you, you, you spoke about the, the, the research for the rules and, and it was difficult at the time, 2005. Um, how was that done? What, what books did you, do you remember what books that you looked at or what sources you used? Yeah, so there was a, a, a there. There are some sources um, that were always cited as the go-to text. So there's a book by Ericsson, which is called "Ordered to Die" yeah. about the Turkish army. There's the Handbook of the Ottoman Army. Not a lot written on the Ottomans at all. Mm. Really quite difficult. I mean, there's the Ospreys, and Ospreys are always good places to start, mm. aren't they? Um, but then I went for the uh, for the official histories. Mm. So the official histories that were written after the war, and um, all the various volumes of those. And I'm a bit of a I guess I am a bit of an intellectual snob when it comes to some of those, because I always like to know that I've read the definitive account. Yeah. I want, you know, I, I don't want to miss anything. Um, I want to know that I've read 
that I that I feel that I'm well read on that area. Mm. So I will I will get hold or try to get hold of those the texts that are difficult to come by. Yeah. And so I spend much more on my books than I do on my figures because yeah. of that. Uh, my book, you know, I said to my wife, no, my, you know, if I peg it, don't worry about the figures. It's the books that are worth money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have you kept have you kept abreast of um, publishing and, and books in the period um, since since write since writing the rules? I know um, yeah. I've there's a lot of Turkish stuff that seems to be coming out recently, and I've picked a couple of books up over the last three or four years um, from Turkish sources that are, that are quite useful. I'm aware of them, but actually I haven't, I haven't read them. Mm. Um, and I guess probably I'm a little bit scared too. Yeah. Um, because I know, I know, I know what it might trigger off. Is that a bad thing? Well, um, it would be for the Mexicans. <laughs> uh, so, so 2005 then, um, just, um, place that in in lardy world then what had come out what what were we waiting for so i i think by then um it was probably our i don't know fourth or fifth uh product that went out there i think when we kind of decided that okay let's let's put some more out there you know to see uh you know we've got some other ideas people said what else have you got i said well we can you know have this one Mm. um so i think it fits into that category and we've got I don't know what our release schedule has been over the years. Mm. Um, but in those early years, we produced, a, you know, a number of rule sets, four or five rule sets quite quickly. Whereas these days we might produce, it's slower because it's a more mm. intense process. Yeah. Um, and probably and probably more complete these days. Yeah. Um, this, was, this was put together at the heart of this. Uh, Richard wrote some rules called Triumph of the Will, which mm. were about the Russian Civil War. Uh, and because they covered the same time frame, um, we took these as, as kind of like the skeleton for this. Yeah. But then by the time you've, you know, by the time you've knocked off all the bits that don't apply, mm. that skeleton's barely recognisable. Um, and so it stands alone as its own set, I think. Mm. It, now, you, looking back on it, um, today might have been the first time that you've looked at it in a while. Um, how, how, how do you feel about it now? I, th- I think if we wrote it today, it would be very, very different. Mm. Um, I think we would use, looking through this, there's quite a lot of tables in here, for instance. Yeah. Um, so I think with, you know, that would have been one thing we changed. I think what I like about it is uh, the card activation and some of the cards that are in there I really like. I think we probably we will probably keep those. It's got the tea break card in there, um, but it's got you know some other cards, stiff upper lip, um, sort of uh, other bits and pieces in there. But I think. And I like the leadership in here. I like the command. Mm. You know, you have a command. You have a you have a brigade commander, and yep. um, he influences other units through the use of his signals bases. Yep. So if I want to stay coordinated, I stay quite close together, and I can probably coordinate quite well. Yeah. Uh, whereas if, if if I get very spread out, it becomes much more difficult for me to yeah. manage uh, that process and to remove shock. Uh, from 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 units uh, and so i think they would stay in there because our focus much more now um well it was in here but even more so now is on that command decision making process so mm. i think we probably strengthen that um but there were some odd things in here so for instance we had to do machine guns differently because mm. machine guns in the first world war were very different to to where they were used in the second world war you know we mm. tend to think of them as forming part of the platoon, you know, and, yeah. and using their support power. But you've got machine guns deployed here almost as batteries and yeah. used to deny 
uh, you know, the enemy, the ability to move in certain areas and, and they're powerful. Um, mm. And yeah, so I think they, we changed them. I think we would change them. Richard and I mm. actually took them out a few years ago and said, we'll play a game with them. And then we, we, we played the game. We thought, yeah, actually, you know what? We, we, we should revisit these and, and improve them from where they are. But actually, um, uh, I think if you want to play Middle East, I don't think there's much else out there, to be honest. No. But I think that they give you a flavour for the game. Well, Ken, look, you tell me because you're the guy who plays them. You're the guy who, who's made them his own and done loads with them. So what do you do with them? Um, we, we're fairly close to the originals, to be honest. Um, we've probably gone... Um, a level higher um so each yeah. of our each of our Funny players that. i thought you might how did you guess how did you guess um, um so each each of our players tends to uh command a brigade rather yeah. than having the brigade as the the thing on the table and all we've done with but that it works you just scale it up yeah all we all we've done is um is have a higher level commander, a divisional commander or an army commander who has those same bases, the, the signal bases, because yeah. I've had loads of fun. Um, I've got one with a pigeon. I've got a Yorkshire T yeah. one. I've got, and those signal bases just uh, make the game. They really do. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and other than that, there's maybe one or two slight changes we've made um, to uh, the dice rolls, but we found even for the mm. even for that size of game, um, we will we we don't have any problems at all because what we what we tend to do is we'll tend to almost like a, a game of poker we'll tend to deal five cards out and put them in the middle yeah. of the table and then you just crack on with your unit and if it comes after somebody's else units that it interacts with then that person goes first but it enables the table to keep moving and, and everyone to have something to do at, at some stage well that's the luxury of the big game isn't it because you can move in one part of the table you know, the, this guy can be busy moving his troops over there and you can move something else on the other side you don't, yeah. you don't need to worry about uh, you know waiting for him you can just crack on with it yeah and I, th I think a lot of people make that mistake they they think that oh i've got to sit here and do nothing yeah. While everything's no, going on, right, yeah. And our, the, my the distinct memory, and I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times. One of the games where we played Jutland, I was um, in charge of the German battle cruisers, which are right at the front of the German line, and two-day game, and I had absolutely no idea what was going on at the other end of the table because I was so engrossed in my little battle with the um, British battle cruisers in the front of the British line and, and the armoured cruisers that I was pinking off one at a time. Very, very enjoyable. Um, and I, I enjoyed that part of it because that's how that commander of the battle cruiser squadron will be concentrating on his bit and then waiting for signal man behind him who's got his signal out looking at um, the Kaiser at the front of the German battle line, waiting for flags to go up or a signal to come across. And he's not bothered about what's happening over there until he... he, he carries it so yeah that, that's our, that's our our kind of big game experience with them uh, and i was going to say are, are we doing it wrong because we, we've got too many figures on the table so yeah, well, it's great i've seen your games ken i've seen photos of your games i hope maybe one day that you know love to love to see one in in in, in the flesh as it were but they look fantastic when you do it with this suit they're really evocative of the period as well mm. so you put a lot of 
love into the figures, I know. Yeah, well, I'm hoping um, it's very much outside the scope of what the Lard Days do because people tend to do three or four games during the get the day. But I've, I've pitched the idea to um, the lad who's running Steel Lard um, and I've said yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy to come and put a big game on a big table and maybe people want might want to play all day or they might want to do a session and I'm quite happy to run it yeah. however it works. Yeah, um, that'd be good. That'd be great. I'd love so, that. Yeah, so it will... And it, the big, big game lard... It will, it will work wonderful. I'm, I'm sure it will. <laughs> <laughs> what's the What's the difference then, um, if there is, between um, you, this and your other set of World War Run, Run rules, the Mud and, Mud and the Blood? Is there a big difference uh, so, between the two? Yeah. Uh, so Mud and the Blood is different scales. So these these were written for brigade level. So they're very much into the, I guess, the higher level tactics of. Hmm. of the action so you know the, the, the way the machine guns and artillery works for instance is very different there there, there are different rules set. they're chalk hmm. and cheese really from mud and the blood mud and the yeah. blood is is much smaller level in fact you could you could apply mud and the blood to um to middle east in terms of the platoon level tactics yeah uh, that would go into that would, would transfer across because you know, the british british were training their infantry to work in certain ways hmm. and yes it's different on the western front than it is uh, you know in on in the middle east uh, but there's certain aspects of the the way they're you know they're working which are very similar so they're very they're very different rule sets they cover the same war yeah um but that's about where the similarity ends mm. and um although I've, I've looked through lots of your sets of rules and there is a familiarity between them it, it's a it's a set of lard rules if you like and that is that's positive in many ways um, and we have the same thing with General de Brigade, the Craig's Cunts, which is seven. I've got to be careful how I say that. Uh, seven yeah. years war rule set and um, British Grenadier for the AWI. Um, but is there a is there a danger, or does it happen that you can get the rule sets mixed up because of a similarity between them? I don't know. There may be. There are certain um, you know there are certain things that that, that go across rules. So you know this is a card driven rule set. I ain't being shot. Mum is a card driven rule mm. set. Um, and I guess you can see connections. It's like genetic, it's like DNA, isn't yeah. it? For a rule set, you can yeah. see you can see where they come from because they've got certain similar aspects. And I guess if you were to, you know, if if you wanted to analyse our rules now and and kind of track that DNA back, hmm. you could probably find different bits in different rule sets where they we hmm. use a similar mechanism. Well, that's because we like it, and that's because we know yeah. that it works. Yeah. Um, and I guess you know we like to tweak things to give them flavour. Yeah. Uh, so you know you can't you can't use the same system. Mm. Um, but actually, if, if something works and it works well, then why not use it again? Mm. Oh no, definitely. And um, it, it's just whether you had had experience of because they're similar, getting mixed up between. Well, I think you can. As certainly, yeah. when, certainly when I'm playing, them we do. You know, because we forget. <laughs> and is, it, is it in this? What is it? Is it two dice or three dice? You know, and so yeah, we do, we we get that wrong all the time. And most famously, we get that wrong on you know on the on Lard TV when we do things on the on Lard games. You know, we play, we get things wrong all the time. And the great thing is that people people are much more observant than we are because yeah. they are you know they say ah oh, you got that wrong, you did that bit wrong, and we're completely oblivious to it most of the time. <laughs> people love it, don't they? When they say, say you've done that wrong. You've done that wrong, lad. What's wrong? Yeah. You've done that wrong. Yeah. Well, never let the rules get in the way of a good game, eh? <laughs> exactly. Um, and um, you've you've mentioned this a couple of times about the scale of 
um, if the Lord spares us. And it's very different to, as far as I'm aware, all the other large sets. Um, was that a conscious decision at the time? Um, at the time it was, yeah, very much so. We did a set of rules called Core Blimey, uh, which was, um, yeah, which was, which was core level, Western yeah. Front, but much more Kriegspielian in its nature. So no, mm. no figures involved. But it's very much about the building up of resources for a big push. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we did, uh, we've done games around the, the whole 1917 Kaiser Schlacht. You know, the big, big <laughs> battles of the yeah. 1917 onwards around that, but not figure games. Yeah, this was definitely written with that brigade in mind because because I wanted to fight those actions out there, mm. and, and I wanted to do it on a. Um, on a big table where yeah. you had where you had room for manoeuvre and you had flanks, yeah, and you tend to get that. So by using fifteen mil, if I'm doing fifteen mil on a six by four, which is yeah. what most people already access yeah. to, yeah, uh, then you know we can you can say well actually there's big enough room to deploy a brigade and get some manoeuvrability on there. Mm. So it just worked, and, and I tried to base it on the historical encounters really. What's the unit of operation? What's the kind of scale that we could work around? And brigade was the way that it landed, mm. and um, I th I certainly with us the, the 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 sweeping motions you can have with cavalry brigades and stuff like that, which just weren't possible on the Western Front. If you set off on your horse, you were yeah. going to find a trench, weren't you? If you didn't, you were in Switzerland, yeah. and uh, it was it's as it's as simple as that. So, just a final question yeah. on if the Lord spares us: um, is there is there any chance of a reboot? You mentioned it earlier on. I would love to, but it yeah. is unlikely. Yeah, and it is to, is that? Um, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not because the, the the rules aren't right, but I, I'm saying is that because the period is not popular? Um, I think it's you've got to have your heart in it. When any any mm. rule set that you're producing, you've got to have your heart in it. You don't you don't write it as a you know, say I'm gonna you know this isn't a commercial. Well, there's a kind of thing that yes, if it's going to be commercial, if we're going to if we're going to take it to the market, that's one thing. But actually, you know, you can't write something that you're not interested in. Yeah. Uh, I've kind of done if the Lord spares us at the moment. I've got a backlog of other things in my head, <laughs> yeah. and I've committed. I've committed to other things. Yeah. Um, having said that, like any other war gamer, I'm you know shiny, shiny. All oh, that looks good. I'll you know, uh, all I we need to do is play a couple of games, and you know who knows what might would then follow on the back of that but i haven't got yeah. any plans to do anything with if the lord spares us but it does remain um it remains really special to me yeah. and it's uh it's lovely for me to hear that people are playing it yeah um and you know it's it's actually it does sell uh, we joke about it yeah uh, but there are some products in our portfolio that kind of trickle out there and you know as a steady as a steady seller and if the yeah. lord spares us is one of those yeah, and um, well, you can absolutely guarantee that Yorkshire Gamer will play at least one game a year of it. Um, we are determined. Brilliant. We are determined. We started off um, with the drive on Basra in 1915, and we've we've done um, the siege of Cut. We've just finished that, um, so we're just about to start on the drive to try and um, end the siege of Cut. Uh, well, we those actions there, with including. Um, uh, you know the gunboats, etc., on the yeah. Tigris. You know they're they're really interesting engagements as well. Great a great campaign up there in that in that early. Well, I say early. You know, moving yeah. up to cut, and then yeah. and then the terrible situation at cut that your relative yeah. was obviously caught up in there too. Yeah, I, I remember um, one game that we played, and we had um, a gunboat. Um, 
came up to a jetty and a company of Gurkhas charged off their gunboat uh, and, and took a machine gun post. And we just went, Wargaming does not get any better than that. That that's it yeah. there. We've just we've just completed Wargaming. I've the finished great thing it, mate. About, and the great thing about that is, and this uh, this I think is a test, not just for not not for rule sets, but for war games themselves. Yeah. When you tell the story of the war game, yeah. in my mind's eye, if you can then imagine that you just read that in the official history yeah. or in an account, then you're yeah. getting it right. If yeah. if it reads like and plays back in your mind like yeah. it would have done in history, then you think actually I'm getting I'm I'm, I'm paying a bit of homage to the guy guys that were there yeah. uh, by replicating this and, and simulating it in, in want of a better mm. word. But also it kind of makes sense and it's fun and I just yeah. like it. It's great. Right, Nick, uh, that's a great chat on uh, If the Lord Spares us. Thank you very much for that. A very, very popular set of rules here at Yorkshire Gamer. And uh, having a rule writer to talk to uh, is, is an interesting one for me because I, I wanted to talk to you about um, writing rules for big games and whether you had any thoughts or ideas on that um when you come to write a new set of rules and i don't know whether you write together with rich or individually and then merge your ideas in a mccartney and lennon kind of way um uh, going back to the start um do you set parameters before you start this is going to be this size um, game yeah yeah um no i don't think we go for this size game necessarily mm. uh it's around um, I guess it's what level do we want to aim at in terms of the we, we talk quite a lot about the command decision mm. so where are we looking at are we looking at you know is it a platoon commander that we're trying to look at or is it mm. the higher level and then that will then dictate the game we want to yeah. get and I guess in, I don't know for Richard and Richard takes the lead on most of this because you know it's his Two Fat Lardies is his full-time baby now. Yeah. That is entirely... Yeah, because you know, you're still working, aren't you, Nick? Yeah, and, I, and that's right. I still have to work for a living. Um, <laughs> but I'm... I'm. Do you know, I like to see myself as Ardendorf, right? So mm. you know who Ardendorf is. So, mm. you know, he's never there to do the fighting, but he's there just when you need him with the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And that's how I see it. That's... that's <laughs> the troubleshooting. That's aimed, yeah, and that is aimed at you, Richard, that comment, if you're listening. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, we worked. Uh, so we were. I mean, Richard. Um, you know, we, we tend to Richard leads on most of them mm. because that's his that's his baby, and he's got the time and energy to do that. Um, and then we create something through the playtest that that works and get the player experience right. Mm. So for big games, um, I think probably it's you know you, you you've got to look for simplicity because yeah. you want things to move quickly in a big game. Because we said about engagement and the worst thing in the world is for people to stand there, you know, looking down a table or just taking things and it being slow. So pace of activity for a big game would be a really important factor in that. Um, And for that, then you probably want fluidity. So you want to emphasize, uh, you know, the scale and and, um, how you're going to handle those kind of fluid aspects of the of the action. Have you ever thought? Because there's been some interesting choices with 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 two fat lardies, and um, infamy, infamy was one for me. Because you make the decisions in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite often where I. In fact, the whole this whole podcast what is whiskey related because I was chuntering to myself up in the war games listening to a, uh, another podcast going you can't do that in 28 mil you can't have a big game in 28 mil you can't have one of them you can't and, I, and I'm and I'm drinking away going oh that's rubbish this all I could do I could have a big game podcast and I tweeted out 
a picture of one of my games and went, is the room for a big war games podcast expecting to wake up in the morning and they'd be like some bloke who'd accidentally liked it by mistake when he was trying to feed his dog or something and he's pressed the like button and it was like 170 odd it's half so alcohol causes all sorts yeah, of problems causes lots of trouble but in, infamy infamy um and I, I don't know whether you were involved in that development um is an interesting choice at a lower level where most ancient battles that we're aware of are huge things on open plains with thousands and thousands of figures so are you aware of the decision making process with that so so with the infamy i mean it, it really was uh you know richard's baby so but what i can say is that um that you know those lower level actions you know there's there's mm. plenty of um scope for those and, yeah. and i think in terms of what people want from a game Mm. Uh, yeah, some people do want those big games, but some people also want to take that that same principle that they're playing in other. So look at Saga and some of those other yeah. rules where, um, you know, that kind of size of action mm. transfers across. Um, and what we get with with Infamy, uh, you know, they're plausible encounters. You know, mm. there's nothing crazy about that. Uh, you can't look at them and say, well, they're unreasonable. Or they're not they're not historic, mm. um, but they're not challenging that that big battle scene. Yeah. Um, in the same way as, you know, the, the big remember the ancients the classic terrible view of ancients that that many of us would have experienced you know across completely across the table almost yeah. hanging over the edges mm. and just they push together i mean they're lovely lovely spectacles mm. um but infamy's got a little bit a little bit more about it and especially when we say about big games when you tie things together in a in a campaign mm. you can do that really nicely in infamy mm. so i can't really comment on the on the actual process of the the decisions that Rich made because he scoped out infamy. It really was, yeah. really was his baby. Um, so it's a, yeah, you know, it's a, I, I think it's, 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 I think that's the driver yeah. for that for him. It's an interesting choice because, like you say, I I have been struggling for a good good set of ancient rules all my life, and um, those games that you're talking about are the ones that I've had problems with, um, and it, it, it's it's very much, and I, I'm I'm not um, stepping out. Um, here it's very much Ancients appears to be more of a, a competition style game it's a lot about points it's a lot about army lists um, yeah. and it's it it, you know and you, you often see um, 5th century AD Egyptians fighting Republican Romans and you, you've got this massive time distort if you like and, every, and you, I, can, I just imagine huge armies Going into the TARDIS and Doctor Who going, right, who are we going to fight today, lads? Are we off to Republic? <laughs> right, no, we'll do Imperial Romans today. We've not fought them. Rather than sticking to a time frame. Um, yeah. So it was it was just that was it was interesting to me that that choice was made to go more not not it's more big skirmish, isn't it? It's probably the best way of describing it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, big skirmish. I'll give you that. We'll let's let's yeah. I'll settle on big skirmish. That's okay. <laughs> this that same kind of. It's in that um, you know, Ducks Britannia, um, Ducks Britannia, Arum, Sharp Practice, Chain of mm. Command. They all tend to work around that sweet spot of that number of figures on the table, yeah. um, because the kind of feedback we get is that that's what people like to be able to have. Many people like to have, you know, they like to have forces for Chain of Command, for Sharp Practice, for mm. Ducks for um for um infamy infamy um and i guess you know that's it's 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 they can go into that as a new project yeah. and they can paint that number of figures 
and play the game hmm. uh, without having to go. I'm going to say this quietly on this podcast <laughs> without having to go into full mega, without having to go into full megalomaniac mode and get yeah. seven thousand figures. Yeah, um, and it's because some people, I think, I think those of us of a certain age, um, you know, we've got all those years of history behind us of building big armies. Hmm. I don't see that happening with younger people at the moment. I hope that mm. they do, really hope that they do. Mm. And I'm sure that by the time they get to where we are, they will have those same armies. But yeah. I think where I was when I was 20 or 20, I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't have 7,000 figures to be able to get yeah. a big game. in. I had to build to that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so therefore, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm going to sell smallest games to you, because yeah. I kind of sense that I'm, I might need to do that. Um <laughs> I've got I've got one I've got one skirmish game and that's the Sweeney. And that's only so, because right, well, only, uh, only, so, that's only because right, there's hardly I'm, anyone in it and they couldn't afford three <laughs> three thousand extras in the seventies in a TV show. So there's just ten figures, that's all I do with it. So if if if, if I was if I was being uh, if I was being interrogated by you and your uh, sort of megalomaniac big game mm. uh, fans, yeah, what I would say is that you have to consider these as entry level points. Yeah, because nobody's going to build a massive army without first of all having a small one. Yeah, uh, so that's kind of like their entry, their entry points into that, and people will come through that, and they will grow bigger armies. Yeah. That's my, that's the case. In, uh, I hope you accept it. Oh, of course, of course I, I do. I of course care. I do. I don't care if you don't. <laughs> no, of course I do. But it, it does lead to an interesting question, um, and that is that you you spend a lot of time with your advertising and your appearances and everything and I, the thing i love about the lard is, is it feels like a family and you get a lot of people who come in and they, and they play the games and they'll they'll enter another period if if you bring something out then they'll go oh right i'll get some ancients lardies are doing in for me and i think that's absolutely fantastic but but have you ever thought We've got them now. We've got them now. Why don't we do a higher level game? So you've you've got them in. You've got them in. You've got them hooked, and then right. Let's do let's do another level. I think you've probably given us more credit than we deserve to think like that. <laughs> um, is it fun? You know, we, first yeah. of all, driven by is it fun? Can we? You know, is it fun? Can, are we? Are we going to enjoy doing it? Yeah. Uh, and if and if as a byproduct of that, people say, "Yeah, we'll buy it," you know, yeah. that's great. That's really really great. Um, but no, we've never no, we've never gone for that because uh, I don't think wargamers we we don't we don't have the scope to do that. We wouldn't have the ability to do that. We haven't got the commercial savvy or or now yeah. to do it. Mm. And we're not you know we we don't have that uh, that corporate scalability that goes with that. As I say, mm. you buy a set of rules. You spend twenty quid on a set of rules and then go and buy a five hundred quid's worth of figures. Yeah. Um, if if we if we really to make money, we, we we wouldn't be rule writers. We would do something else. Yeah. No, I just wondered whether that had ever had ever, ever crossed your minds. Um, whether people had sort of, I've 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 got this infamy army and it's really good and I really enjoy it, but I want to do something bigger. Can we have? Well, inf- we, we, we infamy, tied infamy, up. infamy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I mentioned earlier on, we've got big, big chain of command. So big yeah. chain of command came because people wanted to play bigger games mm. using chain of command. So we yeah. said, okay, well, we can, the way that you would do that is this. Mm. Um, and sometimes it makes sense when you're at the heart of a community uh, and people want to do things, 
Um, you, you get different people in the community creating their own versions yeah. of stuff, which is really, really great. And there's loads yeah. of things around the LARP community that people have written, which are fantastic. Yeah. Many of which they put, they share with us and go into LARP magazine. Mm. Um, and, but there's some things that we say, well, actually, we'll own that from the center. We'll own yeah. that and we'll produce that. And we'll you know include that in our kind of portfolio. And it'll be available as a PDF extra or as a, mm. whatever it might be. It depends entirely, yeah. depends entirely on what it looks like and how much effort's gone into it, really. Yeah. Um, and then people can grow from that. So is there an infamy, 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 infamy? Um, <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. Um, uh, and and a, a little cheeky question on the back of that one, then. Um, if you if you had a figure collection that you were selling, would your rule sets be bigger? <laughs> well, I made I I made the mistake of selling an AWI army once. Oh, uh, and I'm never selling another one. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, I've I've got massive space problems. Yeah, in, in as much as my space isn't massive. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm still not at this point where I'm going to sell anything because you just know yeah. as soon as you sell it, you want to play with it. And I just mm. they're like they're like friends, aren't they? You build these yeah. armies up, you spend hours painting them, you connect mm. with them, uh, you know, and you and you just looking at them is nice. So yeah. even if you're not using them, looking at them gives you satisfaction. Yeah. I couldn't. I don't think I could sell an army now. Yeah. But if 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 the lardies were producing 28 mil white metal Carthaginian. Oh, I see. Sorry, I completely misunderstood the question. Yeah. Would, um, would, would suddenly they be infamy, 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 infamy? Because you'd be going, we could sell a few more figures here, lads. Uh, we're not, that's not, that, <laughs> you know, that, that, not the bag we'd be good at. You know, we we kind of came to, we kind of came together by by chance and produced something good through that chemistry. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're going to stick at. Brilliant. Um, well, we're, we're close to winding up. There's just a couple of questions just to just to finish off. Um, the vast majority of rules that come out now are for sm- skirmish games, large skirmish games, small battle games. Um, we were—I was trying to think when the last big set of rules came out, big gaming set of rules. And it's probably Black Powder, which is what. Ten years ago, maybe more. Um, and, oh, and I don't know. You tell me. It's good. It depends about big, you know. So look at look yeah. at Dave Brown's rules. Dave Brown's yeah. rules. Pickett's Charge, General Darme, O Group. Mm. They're all they're all aimed at big games. I yeah. would argue. Mm. Is it is it a financial decision? Do you think? For yeah, I'll, I'll certainly I'll certainly take that point with Dave's um, rules because uh, we play General De Brigade here. Um, but as a majority. It's, there's a lot of what we call boutique games, uh, a box, 10, 15 figures aside, set of rules, Gangs of Rome, that sort of thing. All brilliant games in themselves, but it seems to be a majority rather than, uh, you know, nobody's coming out and going, have this, 500 figures yeah. aside. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we've not got the the clout to produce a kind of all singing, all dancing box set of, of yeah. you know, here's the here's the rules, the figures, the terrain, and everything. And that wouldn't be mm. that wouldn't be our methodology at all. But I can I can see a space where people do that. You know, mm. I can see that commercial business, you know, bigger bigger businesses with with investments. Mm. And I see lots of uh, uh, potential for that. I guess that people to sign mm. up to. People like things in a box. You know, people yeah. like things to come ready packaged. Mm. Um, so I think there's there probably is a, a space for that, but you know I don't think I I can't see us ever ever working in that way. It just wouldn't be our style. That's brilliant because because Rich is doing um, Italian wars, isn't he? Well, God knows what he's doing with that. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's kind of gone off on this mad journey, painting lanchnecks. Um, 
And I, I know that we're meeting at our club next week for the first time since lockdown ended. Yeah. And I just have a horrible feeling that that's what we're going to be playing. Um, <laughs> and yet, you know, and I don't know if you saw it this week, he tweeted a photo of, you know, he's working on the, the rules that he's going to use and he just tweeted and a blank sheet blank of paper. Page. Yeah, blank page. So we're going to have, uh, you know, I know what it will be. It will be a, a workshop session and we'll come yeah. out of that either throwing everything in the bin because yep. that's uh, that does happen um, because you know we just really, this isn't what we want to do and it's not going to work yeah. and uh, you know it's miles away from anything it could be uh, that could even yeah. be interesting or it's one of those things that that gets paced quickly and Richard one of those guys you know when he gets a taste for something when he gets mm. a sniff of it he goes yeah. after it one hundred and fifty percent he's been trying to take it easy over the last few months but I know I know full well that when we come back when we do this next next Tuesday it will be yeah. um, it'll be one of those two outcomes it'll either, we'll either never play it again or it or, will be this is the next project brilliant well I, I, I'm, I, as you probably know we're, I'm, we're massive into Italian wars here so I'm very interested to see what comes out of um, these rule writing sessions and see what happens with it and, and see whether it ends up as the second Lardy set that we play here you never know you never know well, you never know fingers never crossed know. So just before just before um, we go and we wrap up, I always give people an opportunity to ask me a question, um, and you can't have the pin number to me um, credit card. So <laughs> have you have you have you got one before we go? Uh, yeah, I, I did have one. I was, I was going to ask. You, I was, I've got two. I'm going to ask you. The first one is: okay. um, you're in a hot air balloon with Jeff Boycott, um, Michael Parkinson, Ooh. and Brian Clough. Who'd you push out first? But I won't ask you that one. Yeah. Um, Brian, Brian, Clough, said, Brian Clough, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about, tell me and tell everybody about the Sweeney, because um, I think what I first noticed about you, Ken, on social media, before I noticed anything else, was the, the Sweeney games that you play and this brilliant ability you've got to, to bring those 70s cop shows to life in some of those little <laughs> vignette dioramas that you do. So just if you can, in, in you know, I'll give you the same challenge in four, four minutes, minutes. Four minutes. In four minutes, tell us about the Sweeney love um, or your nick. Well, um, yeah, I am. Um, I am particularly crap, as I've said previously, with skirmish games. And I, and I get bored very quickly. If I've only got to do 30 or 40 figures for a game, it's like psh, painted. I'm bored now. What do I do? Um, but with the Sweeney, I've always been into Crooked Dice and the 7 TV figures. I don't know whether you've seen Brilliant. their range of figures and they're, they're just brilliant. absolutely out of this world. Um, and I've always wanted to do some one, some, and then one day, um, because I work shifts, I was awake in the day and I'm watching ITV4 or whatever it is and boom, Sweeney comes on. And I go, oh, wow, I remember this from my youth. This, this, And then I start to think, oh, this would be all right for a game, this. Well, then I kind of go, it's a skirmish game. Yeah, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Um, but um, what kept me going and what keeps me going with the Sweeney is the sets um, for the games. So um, whereas I've finished painting all the figures, although I do need a, a DS Carter. Somebody could make me one out there. That'd be very kind of you. Thank you very much. Um, and I've got all the figures and the, and the painted and the done and the finished. I can carry on for quite a long time building the scene. 
So I don't know whether you've seen. I've got I've got a bank and I've got um, a big. It look great. I've got some. Um, I've got a shop that's got all like the the Hovis and stuff in it, all the stuff from the the time. And I've got a pub called the Red Lion um, that's named after showroom as well, haven't you? Yeah, car showroom, Arthur Daly car showroom. Um, and I've picked up cars from um, the internet. There's uh, Vanguard's, uh, the offshoot of Corgi, that make really, really nice models. And um, the model of the actual Sweeney car, uh, I hunted that for months and months and months. So there's, there's an interest there. There's an interest there. Um, and rule-wise, um, I've kind of set off doing my own stuff with it um and we, we've, we've just as an example of one of the rules um these little evidence markers around the table and you can go and, yeah the the police officer has to pick them up they can't ignore them because it's a plus or a minus when you pick it up and um right. you can either pick a piece of evidence up like a fingerprint or a cigarette butt for a for dna or something like that or you can pick up a pack of spangles or um you know, an old dirty copy of Mayfair or something like that, something completely useless and unrelated. And then at the end of the at the end of the game, um, you tot up what's happened. And it's not about shooting people and killing people. Um, you have like uh, if the cops have caught the robbers, then they they work out how much evidence they've got, and can they prosecute them? Can they go to court? Do they go to prison? So it's like a little, very short but fun sort of yeah. dice rolling thing at the end of it, and it's like, well, Big Dave's got fourteen years for doing that brag. <laughs> That's great. You know, there's a, there's there's a product there, mate. There's a product there. <laughs> People would love to play that. You know, we've we've got a, a history of Lard Island of playing silly games as, as sort of Christmas and fun games like that. And we, you know, I, I spent hours hunting for an A team van. Uh, oh. which I managed to find. So just only solely for the purpose so that we could have them bursting out of a barn um, during a game, for during a Christmas game, just for a laugh. I, think, so I understand think, where you are with that. I love yeah. the Sweeney. Absolutely big fan of the Sweeney. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping now, we're, we're first game back on Sunday here, um, Spanish Civil War, um, and then our club, the Leeds War Games Club, have just got new premises that are permanent. Um, so we'll be able to go down and do loads of games and stuff there on the evenings and uh, get some people involved with a bit of Sweeney gaming. And hopefully you'll see some more photographs uh, of it in the future. Well, thank you very much for your time tonight, Nick. It's been very uh, appreciative of you to, to come on, especially as I say, talking about a 15, 16 year old rule set rather than the latest release. I've, I've loved it. I've really, really loved it. It's nice to reconnect to it. As I say, I've got a copy out of the bookshelf. Um, even when I look through it, I think, did we write that? Was that rule in there? I don't remember that. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity to reconnect and to, uh, and to come on and to find out more about the Sweeney Ken and to Love find it. out that I'm only 60% Yorkshire. That's pretty good. Yeah. That, there's, a, there's a positive whether you get big or small on my quiz. Every, every, as we said, everyone's a winner these days. Everyone's a winner. Thanks very much, Nick. Good night. That was a lovely chat with Nick, uh, very much enjoyed that. Slightly longer than normal, but uh, I was having fun. So, um, and as with the episode with Dr. Chris Brown, I, I thought about cutting 
um, a section out here and there just to make it shorter but I was enjoying it and I, and I hope you enjoyed it too it, it was good fun um, brilliant brilliant four minute challenge from Nick uh, fantastic um, and in between talking about cricket and avocados uh, we did manage to get some war games chat in there and uh, lots of interesting stuff around ideas for what a big game is and that, that's great to hear and it was lovely to talk about with him um, about shared family history and an interest in a slightly obscure period of uh, World War One. And uh, if you haven't had a look at If the Lord Spares Us, um, please do so. Uh, and please have a look at that Mesopotamia, um, Gaza, Palestine part of World War One. Um, really, really interesting actions, lots of interesting units, camels, gunboats. It, it, it's, it, it really is worth having a look. And um, if you've not seen our games, Yorkshire Gamer, pop onto the Yorkshire Gamer blog. Uh, we do a big game every Christmas and there's uh, plenty of write-ups on those there. So, uh, that leaves me just to let you know that uh, the next podcast will be out uh, episode 8, won't it, um, in uh, in two weeks' time. And uh, I shall be interviewing another rule writer. And uh, this is uh, is going to be Simon Hall. And Simon is, is from that other place over the hill, would you believe? Um, but he's, uh, he's written uh, a number of rule sets in the past. And uh, he um, has got a rule set out at the moment called Mortimer Glorium, um, which we're hoping to use here at, at Yorkshire Game for our ancient games. And um, although the, the rule set can be used for the more traditional uh, competition style army list uh, points based games um, that ancients are more uh, more known for um, they, they they do transfer to the big game as well uh, and Simon's a proponent of that and uh, plays games uh, six eight aside um, over in Cape Town in South Africa where he's based now so um, we've been out of Yorkshire a couple of times. We've been to Wales with Gareth in episode one and uh, up to Scotland with Chris Brown in episode two. Um, we're now going intercontinental over to South Africa. So uh, I look forward to that one. Uh, so once again, thanks for listening. See you